0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Podcast. I, of course, am Matt, AKA Stormageddon. I'm John. I'm Steve. And uh, it's been a while since I feel like it's been a while since I've had a pick. I know it probably actually hasn't been that
1: long. Probably been a while since you've introed. Yeah, all because the episodes.
2: now that we've uh, That's shifted my, it nice up little a little classic appeal.
1: It's, exactly.
2: There's been some confusion with that too.
1: Well, because yeah. you don't pay
2: attention in our board meetings. No, we're supposed to go in a specific <laughs> order, and everybody keeps screwing up that order, so it's nice to get back to the classic.
1: Yeah, you, you usually screw up that order.
2: Yeah. I don't screw up that order. Because you don't
1: pay attention to board meetings.
2: It's A, B, C, and then B, C, A, and then C, A, B. You already just screwed it up. What board meetings? <laughs> that oh, shit, we didn't invite him to the board meetings. <laughs> um,
0: so this week's pick, um, I previewed and talked a little bit about why I picked it. At the last episode, but I'm gonna go into more detail now. So it's Schmilko by Wilco, which to start I picked because that name is great. But Calling silly. your album Schmilko Sh- is, is, is just fantastic.
2: Plus uh, it's two syllables, and it, the Wilko Schmilko, like, it only works when you're working with two syllables. So it, right there, it's like, it's set up for it.
1: Right, exactly. I assume it derived from, itself from like a snide comment. Like, it you must. want to go to Wilko practice, and someone was just being silly, Yeah, Wilko Schmilko. Yeah, back in that's the 1930s, the they were being silly about it. <laughs> was I doing that?
2: No, but that's how dated it is. Psh, Wilco like Schmoco? I
1: no. He like just assumes I'm always
2: in my
0: 1930s radio voice. So. Well, because you're old. That's that true. Even being younger than me, you're still old. He's an old soul. <laughs> he is an old soul. You yeah. saved yourself there, because I, I was going to come back. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, I that's know. That's all right. That's um, Wilco's always been one of those bands that I, I like to affectionately refer to as a second-hand band, which we're going to go in more depth in our topic at the end of the episode. But essentially what a second-hand band is, is a band that you always hear either through friends or, you know, on the radio... But you never pursued their albums on your own. You can't name a specific song by
1: them, but you know you like their stuff. And when you hear their stuff, you recognize it. Yeah, and I, I guess that's probably where Wilco sits with me. I've heard Wilco from actually several different sources. Several mm-hmm. different friends are like, yeah, I like Wilco. I, I'm not even sure I can say secondhand because sometimes it's thirdhand. Sometimes there are people who are like, yeah, I got into Wilco through other people. Right. And they also can't seem to name their songs. Uh, but then I also knew some people who knew who knew Wilco's discography really well, um, it, and I just didn't hop onto them yet.
2: It's know. sort of like uh, the opposite effect of a band like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I believe we talked about how it's hard for somebody not to know them as an identifying
1: factor. Right. These are almost as popular bands, but sort of peripherals, yeah. I well, guess. Well, I've since gone back through their work, and when I even just considered them from what I used to know, I... I I actually think it's hard for me to think of a a band that better exemplifies mellow indie rock better than Wilco, although they have their origins in country and also there's a little bit of alternative there, Uh, but country, in fact, is plastered on their early albums, even if at times it felt like some of the songs were sort of a parody of country, but since they started off as like a legit alt-country band, actually called Uncle Tupelo uh, originally, then country is still there in a lot of their work, but... That said, they're also a very adaptable band. They kind of mold themselves to the times. And every album kind of has its own mood in a way. And yet, while going through all these different moods, I don't think there's very much that would turn people off. Yeah. Like, much like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I don't think I would describe them as a band. They're safe for most social circles. Yeah.
0: And I think that Wilco kind of, why they, I think, are a common secondhand band is because I feel like you always know somebody who likes Wilco. You're you're not... Yeah. I, I don't feel like I'm ever with the person who is the Wilco fan. I'm always the person who has a friend who is a fan of Wilco. So I may have unintentionally explained your, your yeah, previous question. No topic today. We'll go into it more later, but it's like... I think it's an interesting paradigm and also something worth exploring because, you know, obviously a band you're really into, you go out of your way to find, but a band that you don't go out of your way, way to find and they still work their way back
1: into your life is an interesting concept. Well, perhaps at worst, maybe I've heard people who were like, eh, Wilco doesn't quite do it for me, but right. I'm okay with them when they're on. Right. Uh because they are kind of a chill-out sort of band. Like, yeah. you need to find a sense of inner peace, I think, in order to enjoy Wilco, and especially to enjoy Schmilco. Right.
0: Because <laughs> um, as we start with the first track and start talking about the album, I
1: think that it's safe to say that this album is pretty laid back. Yeah. At least music- Now, not all the albums have been this laid back. Right. I think this is even a little more laid back for them, but I'd still describe that as their overall sound. Uh, normal American Kids... See, this is more of like a folk rock start to the album, but Mm -hmm. it's it's still got the Wilco flair. And by that I mean it has very little flair, actually. It's just acoustic rhythm guitar, uh, very warm and ever so slightly weathered vocals and a modicum of background electric guitar, which is probably the most country-esque element of the lot due to all the bends and the heavy vibrato, and it clings to the high end. It's almost like a second vocalist. It's engaged in a constant solo throughout the song. You know, that's one of the first things I noticed about this track is that
0: um, these two guitars... Well, first of all, throughout the entire track, it's just these two guitars. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because with the lack of percussion... Hey, two is enough
1: guitarists Thank you. <laughs> <Guitars> <laughs> with, can... You have no idea. There's more <laughs> guitars out with,
0: there. With lack of percussion, I think it it really it really emphasizes that point that you're making about the electric guitar, that it does step forward in a way that a, 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 like a harmonizing vocalist would. And that kind of feels fresh to me, even though I'm sure it's been done before, at least for me. Even if it's around and common, like,
1: it's not common in my ear space, at least lately. Like, I'm sure it's been done before, but for me, it's, it was standard. Well, see, so you're making the point that it stands out because there's not a lot of other instruments here right. present. I'm making the point that it stands out because it's doing something actually a lot more complex than even the vocalist is. Like, the vocalist is engaged in a melody that, you know, has its rounds. It's—which it's, I'm going to get into in a minute because it's almost, like, limerick structured. You know, it falls back on its, like, it's ABA— Not necessarily, like, rhyme-wise, but in the phrases of the melody. But the electric guitar is tangential to all of that. It's just a constant solo that does its own independent thing. New, Mm -hmm. fresh ideas from verse to chorus and different ideas. The second verse, it's just, it's constantly remaking itself. Sure. So it sounds that independent. So
0: you're agreeing with me for a different reason, essentially.
1: And I'm disagreeing with you pretty heavily
2: because I don't find anything really fresh going on right here because... Frankly, I feel like Wilco's completely channeling Bob Dylan at this moment. From the forms of the guitars to the vocals to the structures of the lyrics themselves, it feels it feels
1: like it's just blown in the wind. Well, that I do agree with. And I yeah. mean, if you're looking at the the lyrical, uh, the vocal delivery, then yes. I yeah. saw that I heard it's, that immediately. It's especially it is Bob the Dylan.
2: pivot of the vocals. It's yeah. especially the back and forth that's being used. I would amend
0: and accept the hate mail I get from it. It's like Bob Dylan but better. Like, I'm just not a fan of the
2: way he sings, his vocals, his it's, lyrics. It's a, this the, I liked more. That is a different discussion, and it's because of his specific lilt that he has in his sure. voice that a lot of people... It's a little bit uh, weird gutturally. I understand here, that. Here, it's smoother. The, the,
0: yeah, the lead singer of Wilco, I, like, I, I equate his vocals to a warm blanket, because it's you know a little gruff, but comforting
1: and warm. Yeah, that's what I meant by weathered. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean weathered, weathered, weathered as show. like an old man, necessarily, but he... No,
0: but he sounds like a guy who's seen some stuff. Yeah. The yeah. way he delivers isn't the kind of grown to it. Like, it sounds like somebody who's kind of just been telling stories. Yeah, I mean, the band started in 1994,
2: so... But that aspect of telling stories, of just, mm-hmm. it feels like he's told a lot of stories. And for for that reason, for the, the kind of just passivity that's going on right here, there, it's not getting me really enticed to listen to the album right here. Because the only thing that shows up that really is different, that really is... Getting to me and and showing a little bit more of a modern thought is the way the guitar gets a little bit pitchy as it goes along. Right. Slight little accents, slight little show-ups here and there to not really even play off the vocals, just play off the main rhythm itself that the the first guitar is doing, does enough to show that it's not just a reproduction or anything like that. It's more of classic 1960s Southern, not even Southern rock, but like Southern folk was an inspiration point, yes, and they're drawing heavily from that, but there's a little bit of a independent
1: flair going on. That's why I think it's it's uh, important here to define the components of this track. Like, it's not, it's not fair to just kind of generalize it and say, like, right. ah, it's all familiar. Like, when I was starting off by talking about the electric guitar, I think that's... It's something that tone-wise is familiar, but I like what it's doing musically because it keeps reinventing itself. You can kind of get lost in it, and it doesn't really seem to, you know, fall back into the same patterns. There really is no pattern to that electric guitar, at least not from what I could tell. Right. Um, Now, if you're talking about the, the lyrics, that's sort of a separate thing here because, well, it is a song full of discontent. I mean... I've never understood sort of hating the the normal, the normality of American life because, I don't know, I think maybe it's important just to simply say that it's boring, and that seems to, seems to be what he's driving at here, but he does use the word hate. It's called a Normal American Kids. I remind myself of myself long ago, before I could drive, before I could vote, all of the time holding a grudge, for I knew people could die just because. Uh, Shot from a sling, head full of buzz, I knew what I liked was not very much. High at the time, tied to the grid, always afraid of those normal American kids. It's, first of all, I like some of the phrasing here, but maybe the overall message is just a little bit tried and true. But, but I don't know, he's looking at the subject of saying he's discontent now, but he was also discontent back then. Like the opening line, I remind myself of myself long ago. Is just a convoluted way of saying, "Yep, I'm still the same." Right. So I find that interesting. I mean, I I want to talk about that. Hang on, hang on. I remind myself of
2: myself long ago. Is I'm thinking about myself in the past. I'm thinking about who I used to be, and then back then I was still the same sort of curmudgeon I am now.
1: Yeah, still the same. You're essentially (laughs) a more long-winded way of describing exactly what you're said. I put step B and you went straight to C. He said, I remind myself of myself. So that's just an interesting way of saying it. So again, in terms of defining the components of this music, I like his turn of phrase. I like his delivery. It's very interesting. But I I guess I was kind of missing the point of this song a little bit. There's just kind of a general malaise, a discontent. And that's all I can really get from it. I guess I'm not getting the specifics of, except that if you find the the machinations of normal American life, uh, dull, then you found them dull. You still find them dull. But he says he uses the word hate, and that's just a strong word, which I had, wasn't able to really cipher why. Well, and also I think that part of that problem comes from the fact that the way he delivers
0: these lyrics in a very, not necessarily plain, but a very kind of straightforward manner. We were describing his voice earlier, but. It's not like jumping out from the page. The music isn't full of malcontent, that's for sure. And, I mean, even the way he's singing it isn't really full of malcontent. It's kind of
1: easy and flowing. It's not really like... Aggressive, it's another or sharp. Nostalgia song. Yeah. Let me just pull a couple of other uh, verses here. Oh, all of my spirit leaked like a cut. I knew what I needed would never be enough. I was too high to change my bid, always afraid of being a normal American kid. So then you also get the idea that there's a little bit of, uh, not to go too far on this, but like self hatred there. Yeah, like a maybe bit of he regret, was not. Maybe. Yeah, regret that he wasn't able to do something about it then. Maybe yeah. he's a little more able to do something about it now. But it, it also sounds like. If he says, I knew what I needed would never be enough, then it's unsolvable. The entire question is unsolvable, which is why, I don't know, I guess I was... I'm taking it in a much less dark route of
2: what you seem to be going with. He just mostly seems to be railing against societal norms here, which in and of itself is kind of tropey for this type of musical framework. But the societal norms are, you know, being normal, being, you know, a nuclear family type of a person. Yeah. So it's, it's not, it's not, he's afraid of anything specifically. It was more like he strove to be against the norm. He strove to, you know, swim upstream, go against the grain, any other platitudes you want to throw in there. Like he just wanted to be different. And he wasn't essentially. No, I don't, that's the whole thing. He was. Yeah, Yeah. He he was always afraid of being the kid, so he avoided being normal. He avoided the 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 tropes and the societal pressures and things like that. that And he's still doing it today. So as as much as it's like, yeah, I hate the way these kids are today. I don't know. It sounds like societal pressures. I've taken it. It sounds like
1: he put himself in that position and kind of masqueraded as it, as he says, painting myself high high behind the garden shed, painting myself as a normal American kid. I always hated it. Well, yeah, he was just pretending. That right, he hated having ever... to fit in as yes. a normal
0: American kid. Yeah, he wanted to stand out. I don't want to go too dark yet
2: here because this this is still kind yeah, of yeah. There's there's no it's still kind of a no real
1: reason to, but I guess because the song was so kind of pared down and uh, relaxing, it did make me consider the lyrics a little more. I, I and. That's, that's overall a good thing. Mm-hmm. I guess my, my gripe with the message is it isn't really a gripe. It's more of just a question mark. It is right. early yet on this album. There's, and there's No, no, but you make a very good point. The actual pared-down nature
2: wants you to invest further meaning into something else that's going
1: on, into the vocals and the lyrics that are going on, and I just don't think it's there. True, but in doing what I said I was going to do before and separating all the different components of this track here, I do want to get back to something that I, I started off with the the fact that this uh, the melodic components of this song, the fact that it has a very free flowing structure to it. So I don't want to imply that you know there's nothing else here that being right. pared down uh, was was a negative thing. I actually found this song incredibly relaxing. So in terms of the free flowing structure, it I like the fact that it keeps falling back to the same refrain. You know, always afraid of those normal American kids. I know it's very Dylan. But this isn't like a verse-chorus song per se. No. There is some some interesting structure to this. It's 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 structured like I said, kind of like a limerick, but not rhyme wise. It's like if you applied the same A A B A rhyme structure to the melodic phrases instead. Like there's always this bridge-esque departure that always precedes every single refrain. Like shot from a sling, head full of buzz, because the the phrases change here. But then he pulls it back to where he was uh, in the A, the the first line. I remind myself of myself long. Go and that's the same phrase you hear with the following line. High at the time, tied to the grid, always afraid of those normal American kids. So it always goes back to the sa- to the beginning before you actually get the refrain at the end. So it's an interesting little structure that I found. It was it was free flowing. It was watery, yeah. and there were only a couple things where you even do get the sense that there's a bridge there, like uh, the part after that. Oh, all well, my spirit leaked like a cut. I knew what I needed would never be enough. So I don't know. I I think I was enveloped enough in it that I could at least relax without you know finding too many nitpicks. Or yeah, this early I mean, off. I think
0: my biggest nitpick was that I didn't have any nitpicks, maybe. Like, mm. my biggest nitpick is that it just felt okay. Like, I'm not raving about it. I liked it. But I don't I don't know that uh, I have anything bad to say about it. But I feel like I'm in this weird nebulous place, you know? I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm
1: not just resigned to be... Okay with the song. I really like it, but I'm at a loss as to why. Yeah, I think it's it's if you sort of being hypersensitive to the fact that if this were the entire album, then you'd have a problem. Right. Yeah. Alright, well Preview, that's not going to be the entire album, but track two, If I Ever Was a Child. Now, it pains me that my first comment uh, on this song is going to be this, because I actually rather like this song, but we got to state the the obvious, because otherwise we're not being honest. This really reminds me of the Beatles. I mean, granted, the first track sort of had an air of Dylan, but this really rings of the Beatles. Two things in particular do that. That's number one, the clean input of the bass, and two, the vocals. Uh short sure, still Jeff Tweedy, of course. It's either him and maybe one other, or maybe it's him doubling himself uh, in a separate track, I don't know. But still that tandem effect, Rings of John and Paul. And then you combine that with their opening note, this sort of long, drawn-out note in a mop-top falsetto, and then combine it with the bass, and you just get this sense that it was a direct homage. And then also the kind of bounce of the whole track, like it kind of had this
2: head-bobbing feel was very reminiscent of the more upbeat Beatles tracks. And that was mostly in the percussion line, which was very heavily snare. It was shying away from any of the harder metal edges. There there was kind of
0: a basic sound and structure to it. It wasn't
2: doing anything showy. Yeah, and this percussion line helped everything else toe the line Mm -hmm. in this track. But what does show up that I really enjoyed was... I think it's about 30 seconds or so, and you start actually hearing symbols, but they're like the most muted, most muffled symbols. It sounds like they might have been made out of clouds instead of metal. They're just slight little rings that don't have the same harsh start that you really expect or the long trail out that, that reverberates with everything. It feels like it's sort of like a cut section of it. And this little this little touch, which isn't a lot, and isn't really forceful or particularly like big as a showpiece did a lot to take the what I what I found to be a very simple strum line and add a lot to it. Well,
0: it's, yeah, the guitar here was much simpler, I think, than either guitar in the first track. It was just
1: kind of walking guitar up and down strum. Right, but I think the reason why, you know, what John was talking about, the symbols, the reason why they stood out here is because of the juxtaposition. I mean, if you actually just talk about the melody here, if you set the Beatles thing to the side, well, not entirely to the side, because the second you hear that first note, right, mm-hmm. even though it sounds like for a minute they're going to go into something off of Hard Day's Night, right, as they hold that long first note, I I've never been alone. But see, it's a very short phrase. Yeah. Right? They hold that first note, or the I've, but then the f- entire phrase is just, never been alone. And then sort of a little pause there, long enough to know. Yeah. You know, it's not a lot of, like, melodic content here. Right. So much so that when you actually have that pause it's just this breather between the drum and the bass that exists in this silent little bubble. So it, there's a lot room for dynamics, so that's why when you hear these little things, they do pop out at you because the melodic structure itself is actually giving room for breath, room for opportunity. It's even enhanced, especially at the end of the song, because in that same the the, the stanza equivalent, right? For some time, the volume had actually kicked up in the middle of the song. We hear an organ, we hear an electric guitar, and then when the final verse brings us back down, You really feel that breather that time. You Mm -hmm. really feel just that little hollowness of the drum and bass together. Um, And right at that moment, the electric guitar colors it with this little suspension. It was very beautiful. There, also, what I really like about this track is kind of within the first third of it,
0: there's this very nice kind of little chill guitar solo that just kind of comes in. It pl- it's playful, and then it goes. And mm-hmm. it wasn't fleeting. It wasn't showy. It was just this kind of nice moment you got to
1: have right before it went back it was into a the vocals. country it guitar solo. Yeah. And it's mostly in the left ear, so mm-hmm. yeah, it, was a, it was
2: a thing. And that's actually where I have probably my biggest, like, it's not a problem. But it's a little bit of a disappointment that they have a almost distinctly country-style guitar showing up right here. And country can do some really wicked stuff with its guitar work without really getting towards rock and roll style. Because it doesn't seem like it goes masturbatory after a while. The way a lot of rock and roll and or alternative rock or punk or heavy metal has done and we complain about. Like with country, like because it's so soft and so twangy. It can roll on for a long time and you don't get tired of it. I I want something. I want some meat because that bridge shows up after the first verse. It doesn't show up again. It doesn't really expand on itself and it doesn't really showcase itself. That was a really short snippet of a good idea that shows up nowhere else in the track except in a single chord here and there starting to get misplaced, starting to get just a little bit of flair. But this flair in the guitar feels... Very even, very level with everything else, so it's less flair and more just a highlighter in a textbook. True, I guess. But i it, it's 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 disappointing
1: yeah, that but if an you're an idea making, like
2: that could just be
1: not a non entity. You're afterwards. making the argument that, you know, if you have a country guitar that you, in general you're not going to get tired of it because of the inherent sound. The it's it's pleasing to the ear. In which case you can actually get away with just having little short little bits like this. And I think that's acceptable. I think But it, that's it,
2: my whole point. It's, it, it's not true short it, do, it bits. does
1: prove that it's like more it's, in fact music territory. It's 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 not short little bits. It's a short bit.
2: But I and, like And that's my disappointment. It didn't come back. That's my complaint. And I
0: guess I'm on the exact opposite side of that. I thought because it was short and it was to the point I really enjoyed it and it stood out
1: and it was memorable and I didn't need more of that I think the key to this track's success is the fact that it has dynamic changes within it and even though it doesn't have like sectional changes within it that's okay because of the dynamics like, sure. it's just it's sonically pleasing for most of its uh, very brief stay on this album and I think uh, yeah it, it, it's still early on, and yeah. I, 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 in some sense, do feel what John feels. Like, I'm going to want that, but I'm going to want it later. Yeah, you know? I,
0: I don't think I had that kind of sense of urgency and want then.
2: I hear where There's you're coming urgency. from. no urgency. Okay, that's one thing. <laughs> don't put that word in my mouth. Because, frankly, this was a nice laid-back track. And right. for all my, you know, discontent that I'm spewing right here, I still enjoy this track as... Background, and yeah. I think that's that might be
1: where I'm afraid this album's headed towards. Well, it's unfair to say nothing about the lyrics here because I I think that these lyrics do progressively get darker, despite your uh, earlier aversion to that, John. And th- the this song this is, is definitely two, one of them. This is We can them. go dark now. Oh well, I've never been alone long enough to know if I ever was a child. I was tied up like a boat, unbuttoned like a coat, set free for a while. Well, I jumped to jolt my clumsy blood, while my white-green eyes cry like a windowpane. Can my cold heart change even out of spite? It's just he's got such a way with words. I really love how he turns a phrase. Well, uh,
2: it's the next. It's not line just that, the turn of phrase here, though. I it's mean, the next line that really gets me. It's
1: some confessions
2: going yeah. on. I slump behind my brain, a haunted stain never fades. I hunt for the kind of pain I can take. That is, he's talking about childhood and he's talking about stuff like that. That's, that's, that's. Distinctly past emo levels at that moment. I mean, that it's is dark. That's
0: it's not, not even. E- it's not even emo. It's just dark, and it's you know clearly there's trouble from from the past. There's trouble in the present because it it's actually, kind of almost like he's simultaneously in the past and the present at the same time. The way it's yeah, presented. okay, no, that's that's a good. Point. And I
2: really like the way he does that. It actually puts a stark contrast to the fact that he was. In my opinion, still trying not to be a normal kid and
1: trying to push yeah. himself away from normalcy. In the first track, here he's talking about the repercussions of such an act, and it's in that that we get a pretty interesting connection between the, the lyrical theme and also the musical theme, because yeah. we have some tracks in this album that are a little bit safer, a little they sit in in I guess the normal American kid territory, and then we have some tracks that really push out. Well, we're gonna. Take this in stepwise fashion here, because track three, "Cry All Day," isn't like it's that out of place. But things are a little more intense. It has it's more. It's it's faster. It has more of a jogging pace, and the way the rhythm guitar is being strummed is kind of like panting, mm-hmm. kind of like he's running. And the drums have more of a distinct gallop to them, even though it feels like he's just using the snare here. It sounds like I got but. a sense of almost riding a horse. It's just the the, the yeah. absolute rhythm that's going, and the the way the drum is being played. But it it's felt like. But it's not in fearful territory yet. Like, despite the faster pace, it's not fearful. It's still actually very peaceful. It feels active-ish. It it would make good running music. Yeah. What's nice about it is that
2: while we're getting a bit of an energy change going on right here, uh, the way it's introduced to me is, is so nice because it's purely exactly that. That rhythm section shows up And it's empowering But it's very soft And it starts building upon that softness And working with the volume To go up 50-70% From what it originally started at And then over the course of the track I think it's there, though I can't confirm without really looking at the wave file. I feel like they're screwing with the volume as we go along. I mean, if they're not, it
1: definitely gives the idea of the volume changing. There's definitely changes of levels. I did it's- not notice that personally. I thought that there was actually some stagnancy to this. Like, granted, once you reach the pace where you are jogging, it stays there for quite a while. It doesn't really do- uh, die down until the very end, in fact. I would say It picks that- up a little in the beginning has sort of a plateau. I would be hesitant to use the word
0: stagnancy, though, because I feel like the little flares that come in do, you know, add to it. I mean, there's, you know, this kind of playful symbol interlude and there's some triangle work in here later that are you know, it's just kind of really faint. But fact, you can see these kind of little shining
2: moments if you even, look for them. Even before those triangles show up, we actually do get symbols. Yeah. We do get uh, crashes showing up, but once again he's playing with volume. Once again they're playing with with keeping it from actually like breaking anything, so when the metal part of the drum set shows up and gets hit, it's still very evenly toned.
1: But instead of being risen above, it feels like other stuff drops down. All right, I'll give you that. But that's, but then it immediately returns. Yes, so it I, I don't but
2: it's 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 just the phasing effect I'm getting with the volume or the 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 just the layers
1: that are dipping in and out. Is very interesting by itself. As All right, much that's as, fair, but that's, a, sec- as, that's as, a section by section argument, exactly, like, and that's where with Within this... each section, I think it has less dynamic uh, yes. diversity than the previous track, and that's did. where I agree sure. with
2: you there. Like, it doesn't feel like it does too much more than phase in and right. out. So it's more like uh, the content seem of the lyrics seem to be working with the phase,
1: and I feel like that might be the main reason for it. Otherwise. The undertow remains the same throughout. It could be. I mean, I definitely get at least one thing that is equivalent to the last track is also the little details do pop out, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, And one of those is these little cymbal taps. They're not crashes because it's the crash symbol here, and yet he just kind of taps them. Um, In the beginning, all he's using is the snare, and then later on he just comes out after the chorus. He just steps in with these little crash cymbal taps. It's interesting. Little accent marks that were very tasteful. Um, Then there's a brief instrumental... Where so yeah more sectional variances but it's just a spell where there's no lyrics it's not like there's anything else going on there there's no solo there's nothing Um, maybe just the chime thing the little triangle I think is that's where that steps in and that sticks around through to almost the end of the song until it it ultimately dies down Um, and also the bass and the guitar they're full of their own little neat accents only occasionally in the chorus though cry all day cry all night. Uh, there's these like these heavier strums in the bass, which initiate a pitch bend, just going flat for a moment before resolving. So, it's, I don't know. They don't. They don't. Reach out in a big way. I'd say by track three, maybe some of these things are lost on me. And overall, I think my biggest problem with this track is that I thought it was going to end several times over. And maybe just because I'm used to these short songs now, I expected that they would wrap this up a little bit, or that they would move on to something. But we wouldn't have gotten the last two verses, and it's really the last verse that I
2: want to hone in on here, because lyrically, I just, I really like the way he he summarizes this track. And now the hounds are calling. I see the world I find. I'm sick of your affliction, but you're just the smartest and blind. Out of the light, now be kind. Cry, 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 cry all day, all night, into the light, into the light, into the light. After setting up a lot of, I have problems, I'm damaged and everything like that, it's that
1: he goes into a bit more energy. Like, this section really is a bit of a change musically. <laughs> well, that and doesn't it's... quite do it justice without like you describing some of the earlier lyrics. I mean, but I again, hold there on is on such this. a...
2: This was the first time for me
1: All right. I felt like the character of
2: this album was actually getting emotional. And it was this part. This part right here where it's not so introverted, where it's actually extrovert. He's actually talking to somebody else. And... Getting angry at somebody else or getting emotional about somebody else as opposed to just bemoaning
1: himself. All right, well, let's at I least like fill it, in the story yeah. a little bit. I know that I'm unknowing. I'm never totally right. I'm going to walk away slowly. Instead, I bid you good night. Another goodbye. I'm going to cry. Whatever you're withholding, I never said it was good. If I could sell it by the dozen, I'd never dare, but you would. I know that you would. I'm aware that you could. I had a hole in my heart I had accompany me It kept me holy from rolling someone into something like me Something like me you don't want to be <laughs> It's lot I think it's, it's safe to use the, the term self-hatred at this point Because then finally it goes I cry, I cry, I cry all day, cry all night At the open mic, I sing and I stall I fall on the knife Okay Wow yeah, And very depressed. That's why I didn't want to skip that, because that's the setup to yeah. your, your precious last verse here. <laughs> but
2: a lot of that impact is kind of lost. Even though he feels like he's more I, energetic, true. emotionally no, true. invested
1: here, a lot of the lyrical work is lost until that last verse for me. That's why it may seem convoluted, but I, I don't always like uh, saying the lyrics first, because ultimately music is about what you feel from it initially, right? And I, I I never got that fearful sensation from the beginning. I never got this sort of inner strife from the music. Yeah, the music mostly comes across as relaxing. If anything, I, I feel like it would suit like a pharmaceutical commercial. Like <laughs> it It almost feels therapeutic, and there is that connection. But like I said, there is some, I believe, intentional divergence here between the music going toward the normal American kid and then going toward the things that he maybe truly fears. And it's that fear that we get onto <laughs> in track four. Interestingly called common sense, if though you we, wouldn't know it by anything else that comes next. Actually, no. by the, just the fact that I call it, you call
2: it common sense means it's not going to be a common thing or sensical at all because that's the whole joke about common sense. So here we lost the Zoloff; it's gone. It's, we're we're it's, no longer
1: in that anti-depression area. It's the first song that starts off sounding truly disturbed, odd and um, disjointed. It, like it, it, it's almost like it's frantic. Yeah. It's It actually carries over the little pitch bend technique yeah. that we used earlier, except this time it's kind of dominating the track, and it's occurring in several different forms. Uh, at least for the intro, he really indulges in just slightly flatting the note, and it almost doesn't really come back to a resolve in the end. It's not yeah. like it leaves and then comes back. It feels like it's trying to. It stays flat. It yeah. stays dissonant. and. Uh, that's the particularly the low-end, more centered instrument that I'm just uh, talking about, the bass, I believe. But then you combine that with a couple of other instruments, the sound of a guitar, strings sort of getting stretched out, uh, while it's actually sounding, you know, while it's being played, it's getting stretched out in the left ear. And then there's also this goofy electric guitar in the right ear. That's just, it it all is very unnerving and it's in stark opposition to the last three tracks, which kind of tried to keep you calm every step of the way. I don't like calling the guitar goofy. Because it's a little bit on the harsh B- between. Bend. I think you're thinking of the one on the left, though. I'm thinking of the one on the right ear, and of the three, it was the goofier one. Oh, it just okay. seemed to be playing around. The other things <laughs> seemed to be more intentional, more yeah. you know, they were stretching out on purpose. There was uh, always an aggression on to parts of the song yeah. too. Like
0: there was this kind of forceful nature, especially with the way the percussion was kind of erratic. It 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 almost was representing a heartbeat, but a heartbeat. with an anxiety
1: attack and no anxiety meds. But now let's also talk about the structure of this track. The structure here is completely different than anything we've had. I wouldn't describe this as verse and chorus at all. We have to go to our our, uh, alphanumerical sequence here, particularly A, A, B, C, and I believe there's another set of what we'll call A prime, B prime, C prime, whatever. They do change it up a little bit. But A is like the first 30 seconds of this track, right? This is what, where you've got all the bends, this is the part that's unnerving you, but it still is verse. It says, when you're in some bad light, in the climbing flood, and you kneel before them, it's common sense. It's practical. Lay low. This is like advice that he's just telling himself or telling us. I'm not sure. But then we break. Things change here. Because around the 30-second mark, we go into a couple of different transitions. We actually get a a tempo slowdown, right? While we're still counting in four, it slows down the tempo. And then we start moving into section B, which is... At first, I thought we were going to get something that was a little more... a little more consonant, something that was more of a real verse, like a full-bodied verse, and that wasn't, you know, messing with your your psychologically the way the first one was. Properly aged, a nice boutique to it. But does it do that? It doesn't, because it starts jerking you around with time signatures. It starts sending you into this little weird, like, hiccup, a little ball change where the emphases fall, it appears to be, every seven uh, on, like, a 7-8 time signature. If you're counting in 4-4 four, four in the beginning, you have to switch to 8 at some point. You have to start inputting, like, a measure of 6-8 and then another three me- measures of 7-8 to actually feel this this pulse, this little ball change that he incorporates before that section finally graduates. Actually, me and Steve had a discussion,
2: like, where should we put the 6? Because it's, it's such a heavy hiccup that you're losing a lot of the flow, that you were expecting when counting by four. As Steve said, you gotta switch over to eight to really try to keep pace with what's going on right here. So you're losing on that first measure, it's it's not eight, it's six. So you're losing two right there. You're losing a whole beat. Right. And then it goes to seven, so you're only losing half a beat, and then another half a beat, and then another half a beat. In that four measure, it feels Except like... Except that when the,
1: you're counting an eight, then they actually then, then the then beats. It's, then, So, so then, then you're losing five. effectively. it would five. be five, effectively. Yeah. You're,
2: not, you're not losing a whole half of a measure. You're losing part of a whole of a half of a measure. But me- to see, this like, is it's why It's like such we a to- weird change that the whole thing feels like it, instead of a one, two, three, four... You're, you switch over to those silent ands that are in between your
1: beat. And it's something I really just couldn't get my, you just can't get your head around on that first go. But see, this is why, you know, uh, composition professors usually teach their students, you know, compose to the music and don't compose to the time signature. Because right. once you try to fit things mathematically, then you will lose the musicality of this, right? It's really, this is more about the reverse engineering here. When you're writing, you just want the pulse to fall where you want it to fall. And then you have to figure the time signature out accordingly. So, it, it's really like you need to reverse engineer your own imagination. Which is why I, I find it so interesting as to like how it actually may have been counted in their heads. So, as to whether it is indeed that, that measure of six followed by the three measures of seven, or whether it's broken up into their smaller constituents, I do not know. But it's very, very interesting, and it's jarring, and that's the point of this this, this B section. And I love how it started off with those two very, you know, positive measures that were still in the same time. So they were in eight, we were making a transition. It was starting to sound like it was going into the kind of verse a Modest Mouse would do. And that, by the way, is the artist that I would closely compare this type of song with. And that's a very interesting shift considering where have we been so far? Dylan, Beatles, and now we're at Modest Mouse? Well, I would say the softer softer
2: side of Modest Mouse is definitely comparable to a lot of the Beatles work. And we've also... Paired the
0: weirder stuff to some of the weirder Beatles stuff, too. Well, it's exactly. easy to forget
1: after the first three tracks that, remember, that Wilco is just as easily alternative. You know, yeah. I say they fit into indie, but that's because they have that side of them, and they also have this side of them. And it's, it, it, going back, because i got to go back to the
2: section. It's such an enticing section. It's not just that it's just messed up beat-wise. It's also that... The beat itself, the what's being played, is so pared down. Those three guitars, and as Steve said earlier, technically you're not supposed to have more than two guitars, but here we get three and it works great. It's It's almost just drums. It's almost actually just a screwed up rhythm section that first time it shows up that it's even hard to do the counting you have to do that you can do to get the count going. So that further, like... Destroys any semblance of musicality, even though it's supremely musical. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> yeah, that, it, which I mean, is some song, of
2: my favorite things about music,
0: th- well, right? And this song itself sounds either like it's got a stuttering problem, or that it's drunk. Yeah, because it has these shifts <laughs> and hard turns. Think about a cartoon character who's walking around drunk, and how when they're walking forward, they'll often. Sp- spin on the back of their heel as if they're going to fall backwards and swing around. Well, and I feel there are
1: moments of the song that does exactly consider that. Consider how this relates lyrically. One moment I beg, I bolt. On a thousand legs, what you can't say, swallow. At the moment I'm bored buried more and more and more and more and it's about this time where we start devolving and yeah. stumbling but even just the the, the imagery there yeah. actually kind of equates to stumbling in some sense when I, I, when I beg I bolt a thousand legs it's it's all it's it's mobility problems I even, even the idea I bolt on a thousand legs uh, for me of course, that the visual... analogy is emotional. True,
2: but I immediately picture the uh, spinny vortex effect underneath Roadrunner. To yeah. be honest, that's exactly the first time I heard it, what I went to. So a cartoonish kind of effect definitely marries well with this track.
0: Well, it's hard not to think cartoony with this, and I've said this about Monty Mouse tracks too. When something is so off the wall and you're trying to conceptualize it, it's sometimes easier to put it in something very much more heavily fake or fantasy than something real you know, and picturing a real person doing stuff that sounds so kind of fantastical or strange. Well, the funny
1: thing is this actually may be considered the chorus because I believe these are the lyrics that come back in the second iteration of B. So what an oddball chorus that is, you know? Yeah. If but you can let's, even really call if it you, that. If you can but it is it reiterated I believe in the same lyrics. Um, and then of course section C though. Section C should can only be described kind of as an instrumental but it is very expansive which is why I have I feel like I should call it its own section. It gets crazy It's frantic strumming, aimlessly searching from chord to chord. It's very progressive. And... You can kind of lose yourself here. It's yeah. like he he not only stumbled, but he fell into some kind of vortex before he finds himself again with a return of a uh, sort of an A prime around uh, a minute forty two seconds. And I loved the resolve as that section just ends. Just that that chord, that the suspension, the notes that hold over while the A begins again. Yeah, it's it probably- was chilling. It's not just chilling. It might be the sanest part of the entire track because it feels it has like it's that a, moment. It has oh, to resolve back into it, A at yeah, that moment. One of the only like Re- resolutions that you were promised and delivered. Yeah, and for that, I thank them because yes, we yeah. kind
2: of needed that because we go through the ABC again. You get the this B. time they're more complicated or just little hints of more complications more instrumentation. going on. It I, yeah. I believe, more
1: cacophonous. I believe than the, it was. the rhythm was the same. Uh, and then C, I be, the C prime, I think, was a lot more cacophonous. Yeah, and it just. it kind of. Demonstrated
0: its insanity instrumentally because you know it's that you know if you're doomed to repeat the same mistake over and over again, it's, that's the definition of insanity, and this feels like that because
1: it returns to it again, but almost bigger and crazier. But see, now this is very this is a very satisfying conversation considering some of the recent weeks in which we've had uh, discussions that were along the lines of the same discussions we were having here in the beginning of the album, right? Where right. we're like, I-, I don't, yeah, he's got very dark lyrics here, but I'm just not feeling it in the music. And yet here we find an artist where that seemed to be the intent to like it separate was a them, foreshadowing to almost. separate them before bringing them together. Yeah, almost know? foreshadowing with the lyrics, and then bringing it together instrumentally we with the were, lyrics. Because we were to told in track one that he masqueraded. Yeah. Right. So of course they would be separate, and then it had to—he uh, had to bare his soul at some point. Right. So track five, nope. <laughs> so what I like about nope from the get-go
0: is that. Be, consider how impossible it would be to follow a song like Common Sense. And so to me, Nope serves as just what it's saying, at least in the title. Nope, I'm just going to do a song because I have no idea how to follow that. And the kind of drum guitar strut that we get to start the song feels very bluesy and very different from other stuff that we've got
2: on the record so far. It almost feels like there's a banjo show uh, showing up on top of the... It was like he th-
0: hit the reset button. Almost. Yeah, It almost thump feels thump like an endorphin base.
2: rush following a catharsis. Yeah, but it was still hollow. It was still a little bit on the emptier side, like, yeah, a lot of the mm-hmm. ex, expulsion of emotion from the previous yeah, track Yeah, it, it took something re- out of you yeah. in, the,
1: in the process. So but there's a little bit of turning off going on right here. It's slurred, it's dazed, um, but amidst this, it did kind of go back to more of a Beatles thing. I mean, maybe if only because of the, and this I am going to describe as goofy, the pounding rhythm, you know, it's just, it's kind of Ringo-esque. It... it and then the, the vocals going along with it are also kind of muffled and slurred and dazed, kind of like something out of the Beatles' Weird Years.
2: Yeah, I, w- I was actually going to say, like, uh, for the benefit of Mr. Kite, without the LSD
1: influence. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
2: it's that it's, stripped
1: down. It's it's carefree with a hint bayou. of surreal. Like,
2: it, it was almost like that Louisiana bio right, kind sure, feel going wanna, on. That's where I was coming from on If you want to put a this. place to it, absolutely. Uh, it's thick that way, but the, it's a thick shell because, all said, I mean, the vocals are now back to the, the very deadpan kind of a feel. He lost a lot of the emotion he had in the previous track, so now it, it's... Like I said, him turning off in a lot of different ways. But there's still a hint of cockiness,
0: I feel, with the strut of the instrumentation, at least. Even if it's not in the vocals, I do feel it in the music.
1: Well, let's see what he has to say. I can't say what qualifies as pain, so transfixed by the wavering flame, mortal kings of each grade and grain erased. Oh, I'm blessed. I actually love what comes very late in the
2: track. Why kill a man when you can drive him crazy? Why make it end when my amusement always depends on the joke? Won't you lend me my punchline? Hmm. Like, what he's talking about here is, once again, that really deep dark, but now he's getting a, quite a bit more elegant about it. He's getting a lot more invested and
1: allegorical about it that man, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Well, clearly more inquisitive. Uh, I, I, I don't know, though. If that's the case, then, why would the, the, the song structure... I, I believe it's meant to hint at confusion. I, I he maybe you can be elegant and philosophical while still being a very. It's because they confused at the same time. But sure.
0: Well, I mean, also you can be lucid and. And, nuts. And nuts at the same time. Like We're going to go uh,
2: derogatory on
0: this. Well, no, it's mentions. not even derogatory. <laughs> it's like you can you can absolutely kind of come out of a daze and still be dazed but coherent. Um, equating it to like someone who's drunk until shit goes down and then you instantly
2: sober up. Even though you're not sober, you're of enough smart mind to handle a situation. Well, he's in a fantastical world right here. The slant may rain knows my doors. Tambourines my floor in four. Laughs and shakes my folded face where Jesus mowed my lawn like, w- he's putting, like, his visual stimulus that is obviously not there with real-life events. Yeah, he's coming
0: made, in and out of the kind of haze of everything that's been going like, on.
2: Like, it's 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 a it's reality kind of breaking down to the fantasy land that kind of, I guess, was caused in Common Sense. Hmm. So it's very interesting that way. I really am latching onto these lyrics. And I think that pairs really well with the Common Sense, with the song Common Sense. Which is kind of... Uh, uh, Difficult that we usually get like the best tracks of an album followed by something that kind of feels very lackluster. And yeah, this kind of does musically because of how interesting Common Sense was. But the lyrics really make it shine because this this is to me is a very... Lyric
1: turn that was needed to and follow you're, you're up the music. You're inclined to pay attention to the lyrics here because yeah. the music is just a lot of rocking back and forth, doo, 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 right? right? And then at some point you do get a transition around a minute 50 seconds, but it's like a transition to nowhere. Essentially, you don't arrive any place. There's no sense of resolution here. the The transition kind of just feels like it's going to push the song along, and then it just brings you right back. There was. It ended up – it was a transition that ended up being an interlude. Which yeah. was like that – it sounded almost like in a really against
2: – again, muted electric piano or something like that. Something, something, yeah. Something in that sort of an area. Or or there's a little parts where the guitar pretends to have flair and pretends to have like a spike in energy but it uh, immediately peters out. It's, like I said, it's, it's got thickness to it, but it feels like it's a shell on top of something, and I see it as those lyrics. But I think, it, like I said, because of that, I think it pairs really well I know, with the track. track. That's where, while by itself, musically, not too enticing, not too magical that way, but the combination of the two
1: is, is just, for me, really good on the album. As a favor, can you be entertained so that day I can savor whatever remains of hurricanes too rattled to romance massive plates of circumstance? That's just such such a great writing. Ah, Track six. (laughs) Someone to lose. Here we get a song that's more playful, which,
0: you know, considering where we're coming from... It kind of makes sense, you know, you want to liven it up a little bit, and we get some playful bass here, that bass work that's been more engaging than the bass has on the
2: whole record. And it the, hasn't really stepped forward much. And the vocals do the same and seem to really work more off the bass as opposed to just really either kowtowing to the rhythm section or disturbing the rhythm section. Well yeah, when the vocals,
0: especially the way he's delivering vocals in this track, combined with the bass and the chorus, it adds this kind of teeter-totter feel that I really like. It's another one of those cases where energy
2: is showing up. and for right. That's essentially what I'm saying when I'm for saying For the playful. same reason it previously showed up, he's talking about somebody else instead of talking about himself so heavily. Right. So it seems like whenever he's He's on the topic of me. Whenever Wilco is being first person, they're very much like, oh, I suck. And every time it's second person, it's the object of the sucking in the life. So the object seems to
1: get a little bit of, uh, I guess, heat. Well, I mean, the heat occurs is somewhere after we rocked back and forth through this teeter tottering section a couple times. I really didn't expect this, but the the heat comes in this form of this brash '60s like rock guitar, mm-hmm. very Eric Clapton oriented. But it, this is a volume shift. I mean, it yeah. is loud. It is it's heavy rock and roll here for a while, and I really enjoy the fact that the the guitar is they they usher it in, but then they start kind of like sort of. Wailing alongside the vocals mm-hmm. for the duration of this, uh, I guess I'd call it the chorus. I mean, it's it's interesting. But well, it's, yeah, it's, also it's, we it's could, brash. Well, yeah, because the guitar is so forceful and brash, though, I think,
0: and every time it comes in, it's brash and forceful. Even though it's kind of still there through other parts, and I, I I like those moments it takes. It kind of wakes you up. So because in case you were kind of drifting a little bit, you you it gets your attention again.
2: It's it's almost like there was an aborted solo. Like they had to draw back the solo a little bit quick on that guitar because it only it was only by itself before everything else really steps back in for ten seconds at most. Fifteen no, seconds. At I would most. never have
1: described it as a solo. Like yeah, I didn't. But that's why it was when loud it began. Chord.
2: When it began and when I first listened to it, it felt like they were going to do a solo. But because it was integrated, because it became a punctuation, it felt like a solid emotional transition. All right, maybe for the in track. the first moment because yeah, of that's the... what that's I was setting that up. That's what I was setting. You... Up. All right, the so sudden nature of it. This, yes, exactly. So by including it and by keeping it in, relevant, keeping it as a nice tipping point to keep the bass from getting tiresome, and by the end of the track for me. The bass was tiresome because it didn't do anything and it was a prominent feature the guitar kept it from ruining the song for me it kept it from being like my sole takeaway for this track
0: yeah no i could see that i mean i i think the thing here is we're kind of still riding high on what common sense delivered and i think nope and someone to lose feed into it i think they are good supports For common sense that strengthen the whole first. No, that's a good point. I think
1: there is some of a little bit of these two tracks that depend on it quite a bit. Yeah, that maybe in their own right, had having not listened to common sense, they wouldn't stand up as much. But it would have come across as a little bit confusing, but still maybe more interesting than track one and two. Right, but as a whole, I think
0: that taking tracks one through six, this first half of the record, literally because there's twelve tracks. It makes the whole first half strong, I think, because you're ending the first half, the side one, if you will, on track six, and they're all kind of linked. E- because you said even yourself that 1, 2, and 3 were building to 4, and 4 wouldn't have quite the same impact if 1, 2, and 3 hadn't That's been what I'm there. Saying, yeah. And so I think it's a strong first half. I think the big problem is it's going to start to unravel after this if they don't do something as interesting as... Common sense again. And that's where Trek Seven, happiness, kind of restarts that sectional idea. Which is why I was making that kind of clear side A, side
1: B you know kind of idea alright well then just before we move on to happiness I just want to uh, cite a few lines from this track because thematically it seems like he's he's left himself off once again at confusion right. he's gone through this whatever it was this this little trip to arrive essentially nowhere but like, like John said he's getting a little more eloquent in the process um, and if I hold you too tight someone else won't get to oh wouldn't you know it I keep rolling considering no one punching a path facing the blast and the moon and the math, but you still never know where your soul is attached. Wouldn't you know it? I'm so confused. I can't move. I can't even try. I hope to find someone to lose someday. Oh, that's painful. And he continues, Now where are you going to go? Like a cobra coiled, sweating in a sweater. You've got too much style, but you're never alone. Someday, they're going to get you. I hope to find someone to lose someday. Ah, wait. Come back. And track seven,
2: happiness. I gather things can change, so maybe she's asleep in her grave. She gave her body to science, so I'm not sure what's in her place. Maybe roses or tanqueray. Whoa. So sad, it's nothing. Happiness depends on who you blame. I know the dead still listen. She sings a part of every refrain. Under the weight of the living, pointing
1: a finger with no eyes to aim, Whoa!
0: So it's now like this is idea. Like, okay,
1: well there we go. Oh. Well, yeah. It's this, <laughs> well, first that, of all, this is like an act two essentially, yes. right?
0: And it's so more connected than I even realized it musically because lyrically, it's "I want to have somebody to lose. I've lost somebody." Like yeah. oh. that's more directly connected than I thought. Yeah. But here's where the gripes start for the second half of the record because while those lyrics are powerful, especially paired up with track six, and I'm glad we did that. Mm-hmm. We've got another Beatles-esque song here. Happiness is, in fact, a warm gun on this album. Well, but but the problem is... Oh, I hate you. The, the problem is, is that the, the kind of trotting, even nature of this song, even though there are bright tones in the chorus that support happiness, and obviously he's singing about not a happy moment and trying to find happiness beyond it, it just is, this song kind of lacks the punch that we've been getting on the first half of the record.
2: Well, we're, we're getting here. The, the vocals, the vibe, the guitar, the drums are really... They are reminiscent of that Beatles song, Happiness is a Warm Gun, but it lacks a lot of the punch and panache that I would expect from a track like that. Instead, the punch in the chorus shows up as like a, a xylophone-esque kind of a sound that's extremely muted and a full stop. Like, that's, that's what happens. That's your punctuation is deadening
1: something that's usually bright and sharp or, in fact, just killing the sound for an instant. But the thing is, there's not a lot of punctuation in the song as a whole. I like, mean, right. you know, aside from the later on they add like tambourines to crash on the two and the four, but this is a slower paced, it's almost like a drawl. I mean, the space is between the one, two, three, four. Even after the chorus, I noticed that they rest for a full measure, which feels kind of like an eternity in the song that's so slow and relatively unadorned. Yeah, that yeah. full stop, I liked it because it did a lot to wake me up, but I really didn't want to have to...
2: Wake up during a track that after after a while I was really getting into this album I didn't I didn't want a track to require waking up. Well, also yeah. again like we said I
0: think the lyrics are more connected than the music is. I feel like while the all first tracks are sort of interconnected, happiness does feel a little left out almost. I mean even and we're not going to get there yet, but even when we get to quarters. I feel like quarters has more in common with the first half of the record than happiness does. I don't know. For me, I think because of the punch it lacks that all of the other songs had to
2: a degree at least. Well, look at the chorus of of, this. Yeah. So sad. It's nothing. Happiness depends on who you blame. Like (laughs) you blame happiness. Uh, Like why? Why is blaming happiness something you're trying to do? That's just.
1: Right, but that, that,
0: is, that well, that's, fits that, that's the motif kind of, quick, of the record.
2: Yeah. It fits the motif
0: of the record and what he's kind of building to here. I just think, instrumentally, this song lets me down. It's just a little too plain for me. And it's not even boring per se, I guess. It's just, there's comparatively to everything else we've gotten so far, I'm just not finding well, there anything. Are all,
1: there are all different types of, of arcs in the world sure. in terms of how to approach an album. I I do have to say this is one that I don't often get where you start off with an album that that is relatively safe musically, right? right? And then you gradually get more chaotic and more chaotic and then you restart that. Right. And you start that eh, two or three times in in different ways, right? Right. So that's re- unique as far as the thematic arcs that we've looked sure. at, the musical thematic arcs. For sure. All right. Let's go to track 8 quarters. Um, All right, this was interesting because it was sort of a trippy track in its way because it slowly builds up to something a little bit more heavier, but by only gradually introducing this hypnotic percussion, which has such a swing to it. It is oh. kind of irresistible. And it's only in one ear also, which is really yeah, cool. only in one ear. And then it gradually gets a little bit more complex. It mm-hmm. starts off by doing something that, you know, you could you could follow along to even if you were just a little kid, right? And then later on, it it gets pretty groovy. And then yeah. it gets more complex and more complex. And it starts kind of encompassing the track. Now, lyrics, what do we have? The tavern where you worked was cold and dark as a cavern. You kept quarters in your shirt, but I could never just have them. You always made me sweep around every fly and floozy, under booths and bums asleep. Waking up, they'd ask you, who's he? Behind a glass, without a glance, my daughter's boy, you would say. Well, I stood there in a trance, listening to the jukebox play.
2: And I want to talk about the specific line, my daughter's boy, you would say, Mm -hmm. which implies that A, the person being asked, you, or the person he's speaking to in this case, would be grandfather, grandmother, or something like that. And B kind of cements what's been going on, which the general idea, the general loss, the person he lost probably his mother. Mm, so yeah. this whole and there are song, references to mothers later and earlier in the record as well. So this this kind of this part right here kind of cements the idea that this is an ode to a very conflicted mother son relationship, or at least a conflicted loss.
0: Yes. Like it's an important close loss that's familial. And complicated. Well, Just John's like
1: things- right. This oh, that'll take us back to episode one thirty nine, "Carry in the Well" by Sufjan Stevens. But
0: what I wanted to say that. That uh, Steve kind of skipped over is how the song starts because we get finger picking here which while common in a lot of country and folk hasn't really been super common on this record except
2: for track one right Right away it was reminiscent of track one But,
0: but even track one wasn't as much constant finger picking it was flared in here the whole beginning of the track is finger picking with this bass buzz that's if if, oh, the, yeah, if, the, that. if, if <laughs> the drum was in your left ear, the finger picking was in both ears, and then that bass buzz was in your right yep. ear, it added for this weird equilibrium within your own head of sound
1: that I thought was, again, really interesting. And no, that's a good point. That's one of those things, like I said earlier in the album, sonically interesting. You yep. know, sometimes that is all you need. Whether you're nitpicking about, you know, sectional variances or sameness, as long as you have just a really cool blend, that can keep your interest, regardless of all, all else. And what I also really like about this track is, you know,
0: this idea of it being a bar scene and wanting to hear the jukebox. There's a fairly lengthy instrumental outro, and I like that it's kind of this moment. He has this moment. There's this dialogue, and then
1: there's an instrumental out- outro as if to allude to that's the jukebox playing. An instrumental outro that has relatively no musical connection to the, right. pe- the rest of the piece. It's, and I th- it's it, As if it were the, just slow, the jukebox sticking sort of and of playing. Yeah. It ends up being just a lot of
2: layers of really old school feel percussion working well off of a solid rhythm section. Because the percussion is not just doing rhythm work. It's adding to the flair of everything else that shows up. So I mean, the percussion was the most impressive on this track as it's been on the whole record. for so sure. yeah.
0: Like it, I said, because it feels... Even though it feels separate, it feels okay because there was this narrative of wanting the jukebox to play. It's almost like that's that moment. In fact, the That first moment we've all been waiting for. Like, think about po- when you're
2: in a bar and you're waiting for your favorite song to play that you put on. It's got... Even the first few, like, notes of the drum that shows up yeah. feels like a skipping record. Yeah.
1: Or something like that. Like, yeah, the actually, machine itself is tapping it's and not quite hitting it right. Little gears inside, it's starting yeah. to play it. Yeah, yeah, it's...
2: it's it's got texture and it's got connection. I don't know. I really just enjoyed music. I stood in this there one. in a trance yeah.
1: listening to the jukebox play. Like you tuned out from what you were doing because it stole your attention away. Yeah. It's interesting. Track 9 Locator.
0: This um, is where we get bluesy again, which we had had a little bit
1: earlier on the record. Bluesy, but also slightly more heavy rock, you mm-hmm. know. The, but, one of the more rock oriented tracks. You do include some blues elements though. You include the like a, there's like a bottleneck guitar going on here. Lots of little things. The lyrical transitions here I
0: really like too. Like we talked a lot about the lyrics, but here um right as the chorus starts pretty much you go he goes from saying the letter i repeatedly to saying the word hide repeatedly, but they sound so similar in a kind of drawn out way.
1: It's a, it a gentle, yeah, bled transition. Let's read the whole verse.
2: Locator sees me swaying through the catacombs. Locator hears me whispering in my home. Even when the waves are falling, beat me into diamonds. Even the wheels are whining. And there's a pause there. And I like that kind of dramatic pause he builds in. Uh Because he repeats it. Even the wheels are whining. Something in the sky can find me. I I I I I I and then it's during that you get that transition into I hide 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 hide. But you don't even really he- like the way you're saying it. I hide like there's
0: never well, I'm that actually, moment. I'm yeah, fully yeah, yeah.
2: pronouncing the D. Right, and that's something he doesn't quite what's really, do right
1: away.
0: That's what's really cool is that there there is no moment where he says I hide. Those okay. words never feel connected. And it where does he feels hide? Like
1: it bleeds here below. Here, here below. Here below.
0: below. Oh no, locator! It is I. I just that that whole first verse into chorus it just it has this kind of flow that's again unlike anything else on the record at this point the only time i feel like i've had a moment on the record that was truly kind of empty was happiness which considering the lyrical context of happiness was probably intentional but here again locator having that interesting lyrical kind of tick gets me engaged and and, and the I'm, music is still good too it's not it, like, like Steve said it, I, I brought up that it was bluesy but it does take a harder rock turn as the song progresses it adds texture
2: yeah what do you suppose locator is I think that's grandfather from the previous track or grandmother from the previous track like, I think the locator is the person minding him I had a speech prepared for this one the locator have, is the person minding him because he just kind of turned off after losing somebody important and it's preventing him from going into the downward spirals that seem to have occurred earlier in his life, and end scene. It, I mean, Locator does sound like it's someone who's the responsible one, the person who's looking for you. Or the. it, it seems like... It, or if, a person even of authority. Even if the Locator itself is not real, it seems like it's the individual or idea he's latching on to keep himself grounded. Right. It's Most a, importantly that's what I see being developed. It's here.
0: either the image of authority or an actual authority
1: figure. Especially,
2: it's the last lines. I love Locator everywhere I go. I tell Locator everything
1: it wants to know. See, this could either be a religious implication or oh, It could be that too. I hadn't thought of that. It could be that. <laughs> a higher power. Or, this is a really silly thing, but I, this, it could actually be like sort of getting away from it all in, in terms of technology. Something in the sky finds me. I and mean, he sure. Finds, he, he locator sees me swaying in the catacombs. Locator hears me whispering in my home. Well, then I don't know. It's just let's the, take the let's take idea the of like voice trans. I don't know. That let's, was, t- let's
2: take that I'll to take the with next religion. step. If you're going to hone in on those words, then it's just... He's, he's using the locator, a.k.a. phone, cell yeah, phone, or something like that. For. He's personifying the connection that... The phone creates to everybody he knows into a specific individual idea. Yeah. So we're getting even more metaphysical about this sort of stuff that he's uh, anthropomorphizing a object because of all the love spewing out of it at him. He's identifying it as a, a person to love. So... If that's the case, I love like, my GPS. <laughs> well, no, like if that's the case, he's a little unhinged at that point, yeah. right?
0: But I think <laughs> it
2: further cements
1: cements the way this album is kind of starting to build and move. Well, it's a, but, I just find it interesting that he would keep it as generalized as locator, me whether too. that you know means God or it means a satellite somewhere well, I think orbiting the, the ambiguity? The earth. It's not, it's is not even important.
2: my locator, the locator. It's I love locator. Everywhere I go. Yeah, I, like a proper nail locator, everything it wants to know. Yeah. but But for as much as the lyrics are really gripping here, I like the music that's going on, but... I'm not really seeing anything besides just simple, well-layered builds. But see, I didn't need more than that here. I think
0: the lyrics of the spotlight and the message of the spotlight, because there seems to be that kind of joke, understanding, trying to figure out moment. And I think that would be lost if the music were too intricate
1: or too complicated. I think that this is the perfect backdrop for what he's building. It's interesting because I believe this might be an end of like an act two to some extent. A little bit, yeah. But, but, but... The whole idea that the lyrics and vocals should be the forefront,
2: it's kind of belied by the fact that the vocals aren't really a forefront. They're not stepping out dramatically the way they did in previous tracks. He's back to his talking first person, so he's back to his kind of low-key blending in with the music, as opposed to talking about you he takes a step up and he gets emotional and he gets to be a presence as opposed to an aspect of the music itself and this has been a problem for most of the album whenever he's talking about himself whenever whenever the the protagonist here is being introspective it's the small voice because it's a voice in his head so
1: it is very quiet. It's just working with his thoughts himself. very quiet. His it can't, thoughts it can't combat the music. Because the
2: music is the rest of the thoughts
1: in his head. Or, so. or, or, no, or not. rather the music is his decorum. The way he presents himself. Okay. Which is not always the way that, he That would feel. actually work well too. Alright. Well, but mean, but, also, but this, is, this is a reoccurring problem I'm having with this album.
0: But see, and I don't find it a problem because you have to look at the content here and exactly the story he's trying to tell. I mean, think about... Um, okay. oh, let me finish. Think about when you're talking... In general, when you talk about yourself or someone else, when you often more forceful and loud, when you're talking about yourself or someone else,
2: answer the question. That I would actually change to the question of when you're talking about something you like versus something that you're not enthused that's not about. The, but that's not the point here that I'm trying to make. I talk about myself very loudly because I'm egotistical, because I'm really in love with okay. myself. So in this case, he does not love himself, so he's not enthused, so, so he's me- being very passive about it. I agree. He's being really great with the story. I'm totally on board with that. The music, for the most part, is not supporting the story well enough for me.
1: That's my problem. I'm with John, but it doesn't have to do with egotism. I do... I, if you feel like you know yourself no, I'm well... I'm
2: egotistical. That's different.
1: All right. But it doesn't have to do with egotism for me. If you want to talk about yourself, I, I do feel that I know myself well. So I probably would speak with um, emphasis. Okay. But see, th- this is the point I was trying to make
0: that John cut off, that I was trying to make the case for this record. It's not talking about yourself, like your accomplishments, things... You are trying to help someone who's struggling, you're going to be more concrete because you believe you can help them. When it comes to helping yourself, sitting in a therapy session, you're going to be quiet and more introverted. And by you, I mean me. I'm relating to this album a lot because I find when I have to talk about myself, I don't really want to talk about myself. I'm not very confident. But if I'm talking about any of my other friends, or anyone else I know, or a story, I'm way more enthused because
1: I like helping other people and talking about it. All right, then that depends on the personality. And we are, after all, only dealing with one personality here. So I respect
2: that. I would say, just to keep this tangent going for one little more moment, perfect example of how i would talk about myself would be something like basket case sure where you're proclaiming how messed up you are like or flagpole sita so like i guess the point i was trying to make is that i relate to this more and i'm having less of that problem because i see myself in this album well this is a very depression heavy album and it's a very low-key introverted album and I understand that because I went through my throes of depression and when I'm not being an extrovert I go
1: way flip side to introvert so that's I, I get everything that's going on right here well, see, it's interesting that we're having this discussion here because of all the tracks. I mean, Locator is more of an abstract kind of thing. It seems like this is the sort of thing that is really very specific to the person in question. The vast majority of these tracks do concern things that perhaps you can relate with in, in to some extent, and I'll get more into that in my wrap-up as to whether I actually relate with this. Some of it I do, some of it I don't. Some of it is besides the point. But it's a very specific story, and as with most stories, it's not really important that you relate with it 100%. It's just important that you sympathize... Or or even better, empathize with it. So that will come up in other areas. But uh, in this track, it's not 100% there. It's one of the, like I said, it's a more rock-oriented track. It's it's heavier, and I feel like I'm trying to look at it from the musical perspective. Otherwise, I find the theme interesting so far, Um, objectively. Track 10, Shrug and Destroy. Uh, This almost seems to kind of start like in Act 3, and that's even just a few, you know... Well, Wait it's
0: funny minute. that you feel like this starts as an act three because it has a similar kind of trotting pace that Happiness had, which was a
1: start to act two. And yeah, so that's right, exactly. it kind of has that similar feel. And also because it it's sort of back to the mellower rock that we got back in the beginning of the album. But it doesn't stay that way. I mean, no. there's something here in this track that as it progresses, it starts to hint at other artists. There's some of, like, I almost heard yes in in some of sure. these, in the chords here. But but it's it's... It made it one of the more standoutest tracks I think in terms of his genre, despite the fact that it had overall the air and the tone of the beginning of the album. But the things that make it different are the presence of the piano, the mm-hmm. sort of noirish quality to this to this track. It, some of the chord changes are drop dead beautiful, and yet it never really gets full, like it never gets majestic, which is often what I associate some of these chord changes with. Like I expect it to accompany something very majestic, something that you know. Uh, artists like My Brightest Diamond might do, but it never really gets grand. Instead, the most you get is a sparse, delicate piano solo, but there's something very teasing about that, and I I love it. Actually, the
2: first thing my mind jumped to listening to this is, again, Beatles, because we just love referencing them on the show.
0: Honestly, you know what? If I were Wilco and someone kept comparing me to the Beatles, I wouldn't be upset.
2: Just saying. The specific song is actually one of their lesser-known pieces Julia says you well i had to remind you both what it sounded like so or or even like dear prudence with a little bit less of the chorus work but well, i think you find that the most
0: in the piano and the flow of this track the pacing it is was, very similar
2: it was like Steve said it was a bit of a genre shift. Like, if you know Julia, you know this track. You know exactly what genre it should fall into. Whatever that is. That vibe is a great compliment for this piece. Because otherwise, it felt like it was a little bit of a return to the normal for yeah. this album. I mean, I would That's, I would yeah. admit
0: that if the piano weren't there, it would be completely normal for this album. I feel like the piano does make it stand out. That said, the instrumentation is really the only thing to me that stands out because I'd be hard-pressed uh, and, without and, and looking the at chord
1: changes. At, I, well, I reiterate that very strongly.
0: At, so what I'm saying is the instrumentation as a whole, the music is what's memorable here. For me, lyrically, I'd be hard-pressed to tell you what the song was about lyrically without pulling it up on my phone right now. Like <laughs> Just sitting here, I I can hear the piano interlude in my
1: head brightly and it's there but the lyrics content i can't well, i have no idea let's hand it to you on a silver platter please do some harm for the past others dream of at last days continue multiply multitudes i wonder who destroys when no one is left rejoice all our statues lullabies and rented rooms <laughs> distances no one will go for instances no one can know i say good night leave the room unsatisfied like a child i lie almost alone not quite Crowded avenues, homeless in tennis shoes. Sometimes I wish to set free the things that still matter to me. Days continue like a knife might intrude. I wonder who destroys when nothing is left. Rejoice, nothing is left. Rejoice. Yeah, really
0: dark
2: apocalypse stuff. There. It's n- not apocalyptic, dark, stark, bleak. Bleak, bleak is the perfect end of word. chain kind of a character going on right here. Almost um, end of line. It's, it's, we're getting, I'm getting a <laughs> no very... Nevermore more lives. <laughs> Never more kind of a vibe. so sure. Poe is showing up heavily on this yeah. kind of a piece. And which I think is, is the, the, the thing that does
0: hold it together. But again, now hearing Steve having said the lyrics, I remember them. But, but 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 that's only because they were just said. They're uh, not memorable enough for me, I feel like. That's only because they have, they have power in my voice. <laughs> yeah, sure. It was your voice that did it. Um, See, that's my uh, egotism there. <laughs> but no, seriously. Like, I think that's, I think, my biggest issue with this track and pretty much the rest of the album from this point is that certain things are memorable, but as a whole, the songs kind of lead together. I mean, when you know, unless there's anything else you guys want to say, I'll take us into track 11. We aren't the world safety girl, which like to me uh, sounds almost in parentheses. Yes. Thank you. That's usually I do that. Thank you, John. Um, this, I felt, was one of the most forgettable songs on the record because it sounded so much like the
1: first two tracks. Uh, like It had uh, yeah. that
0: same exact folky vibe. It was also vibe.
1: built off of the same riff that kept repeating, which involved that sort of high-pitched whistling thing mm-hmm. that I, I couldn't identify exactly what it was. Could it have been a keyboard? Who knows? But it's it's a song that sort of just sways in the wind, you know, yeah. but there is a darkness to it. Uh, in the lyrics, In right? the darkness, as usual. Um, which, you know, toward the end of the album starts becoming a... It's either a problem or it's not if you continue... <clears throat> if you consider the fact that there was never any progress made and that you arrived exactly back where you You began, Yeah. yeah, And it's just like the whole dream, you know, it never happened. It it was essentially, you know, I remind myself of myself long ago (laughs) and you're back to that moment in which he considered. And this was the, this entire album was a pondering that occurred. Again, we're not quite there yet. It was all just a dream. Let's, (laughs) I find it interesting that the chorus here almost seems to be a parody against the, we are the world. You know, but it's, I get the it's sense of that, instead, right? Instead, we aren't the world, we aren't the children, but you are my safety girl. See, that's definitely <clears throat> intentional. It's absolutely a parody of "We Are the World." I mean,
0: even in the title, you get that that kind of feel, and and I think it's. You
2: know, it's looking at a bleaker. You know, we we're talking about the bleakness of the previous track, and it's still staying bleak here. It's- as much as I want to use the word stark, like your Arm- Armageddon comment kind of shows up in the line. I know a good Armageddon might have made my day that day. Is that so? Like this idea that an Armageddon would have made it better. Yeah. Like, like he's looking made- forward to the to the end of everything. Yeah, but here here's the thing. Uh, that that is a really poignant line mm-hmm. that just really gets glazed over. Oh, yeah.
1: All of these lyrics... Well, it's, just, it's, a, it's a coulda, woulda, shoulda about the end of the world.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but
0: again, here's the problem that John mentioned was a little bit on the beginning of the record, but it's definitely more prominent here. Track 10 and now track 11. The lyrics are kind of just...
1: There, but we're not really noticing them because we're we're tuning out a little
0: because we're getting it's it's just getting a little. You know, repetitive. you know
1: why is because the lyrics do tend, in general, apart from that chorus, to ramble a little bit yes. here. There, there, that may Which be a good it did line in the very but
0: beginning too.
1: Yeah, there's not as many, there aren't as many poignant lines. I think here it's really more of an observational thing. It it's back to that vein. Have you seen any mention? It's been quiet in detention all week. Is that so? I saw the winter party person candidate give a sermon. Shook his fists like so. Is that so? And everyone sat as blank as a cake and in love like a stupid lump of clay. Is that so? And that's the line, I know a good Armageddon might have made my day that day. Is that so? Of course, we aren't the world, we aren't the children, you are my safety girl. And you know we could go and spend ourselves like money. Let's pretend we are 100 dollar bills like so and complain every day there's a spider in my soup. Tired of my opinion like everybody else. Is that so-? it, it I lose him like here. This is yeah. this is a guy caught in his own head. It's it's a little bit less philosophical, um much more inward. And it's a little bit just rude
2: at the end of it he's just he's just being a little bit on the obnoxious side and i feel Eh, like a lot of the a lot of the character growth that was that was being shown in the album in both the music and the lyrics was lost here like it's just been going downhill like it's inevitable he's going to be back at that same sort of facade childlike pretending to be one of the normal kids but instead being like weird and different and having to hide it. He's hiding himself again. And I don't like being hidden from the character that we got in nope and common sense. And there aren't and always resolutions to everything though. Yeah.
1: So I, I mean again, there's an artistic defense for that. Uh all right. Let's finish this off with track twelve. Just say goodbye. I'll say flat out, this song annoys me. Does it? So here's
0: That's why. That's my line. I know. So here's why. It's not because there's actually anything wrong with the song. <laughs> On the surface, and I'll breeze through, and then we'll go into detail. The song is is good. I like it. It fits the motif of the record. It fits the motif of what he's building here. But that said, I saw it coming a bajillion miles away. So far that I had to make up a word for it. Although I think other people
2: have said bajillion before. But it's not a real number. Uh, it, I believe <laughs> it was the number of guns in Borderlands 1. No, that was... No, never mind. No, it was bajillion in one and then in in in
1: two it's like gugabillion. You know, it you was know, zillion. We've had that one around for a while. Can't we just go with that? <laughs> <laughs> My point is is that you know, just... And a title, Just Say Goodbye, like,
0: it just... It seems so cliche, you know, and I'll let I, you guys get into it, nah, but right. I just... I don't know. I'm, I'm bummed out that you're, I... You're I, honing on, good...
1: on the title, though, and yeah. I think that that may be coloring this a little poorly all right. for you. fair enough. I, I actually kind of enjoyed this song. I really enjoyed just some of the melodic ideas. There's something in in... I would almost call it a hook here because it's so it gets stuck in my head, this sort mm-hmm. of resolve. Every single time the, the lines uh, the beginning of one phrase begins, for instance the beginning, sometimes when I'm fading. And he holds that sometimes, but it's always the resolves on the times, right? The second syllable. And then sometimes when I'm fading, I fight to stay awake. So there's another resolve. He sort of slides down every time. Sometimes. I fight. Here I lie, come and take me. It's, this, it's something very satisfying in that. And the fact that it's also always on the first note of every single f- phrase. Um, and then it's accompanied by that reverberation. a Reverberation that almost sounds unintentional because it's in the background. You hear it on speakers. It sounds like something in the studio that was actually vibrating and shouldn't have been vibrating to the instruments in the room. But and, uh, something gets, very satisfying in It gets
2: complemented with that kind of an organ sound that's in the background that, yeah. that is almost resolving these, these, these uh, uh, lyrics themselves, that it's almost resolving the
1: syllables that he's, he's dragging out. Yeah, well, that's the chord, the, the underlying chord that these other notes resolve to. Um, but, but, and right. here's where buts start showing up
2: for, for Steve and I pretty heavily, is it almost feels like they're
1: relying on a verse-chorus structure. Because you well, that in itself a... isn't a problem, but the problem is the fact that uh, the only <laughs> time on this album so far where I feel the the two sections are kind of disconnected is in this final track here. I love those verses; the verses are beautiful, and, and interestingly, it's because the hook here really seems to be tied in with that resolve. You even hear it in the very beginning, in the intro. The the instruments themselves are doing the exact same thing, and then the vocalist does it as well. That's what where I'm 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 focused on the choruses don't really do that. And they don't do anything special. They don't do anything to really bring this out. Uh, They do sound separate from the song. And I I try to ignore that the first occurrence and the second occurrence of the chorus. By the third time, I was like, this just doesn't belong. I I didn't even want to say it. So for Steve to bring it up before I
2: did, (laughs) when we were listening, was very satisfying. I was like, oh, I would have been right. And, yeah, I like but, that on the last word. But while... Well, I usually get shut down on this. While I, I'm I'm not seeing... Even usually as, you should be shut down on it, though. Okay, true that. <laughs> <laughs> while I'm not seeing a true separation of the two, I mean, I feel like the verse and the chorus do... Do have a similar enough aesthetic that they do go together? You're right, that resolution and how they actually deliver themselves... Is separate enough from one to the next that it feels like it was relying on verse-chorus
1: to get the two ideas through. I mean, the album has an, a generally the same aesthetic, and that's, yeah. a, that's a good thing, and that's the only thing that I can say really ties together those two sections. But on a song scale, I wouldn't agree. Yeah, and I mean, I, even though I was pretty upfront about what annoyed
0: me in the beginning, truthfully listening to the song, I do like this weird kind of keyboard theremin thing that's weaved throughout it
2: whatever it is but like that All really, this stuff uh, is we've, we've had a couple of problems with describing instruments it's
0: its background but it's interesting but yeah that's just it <laughs> that and the bass buzz are kind of just background noise on this track they're not even like a featured moment um i didn't have the same disconnect issue you guys did from the verse chorus but that said it could be just because i wasn't engaged with either and so it didn't bother me that it was disconnected because I
2: wasn't really engaged? No, there's this cool little fact his voice his voice goes through on top of just, like, delivery. Sometimes it feels like it splits halfway through a verse. It, his voice splits and it starts doubling, but both pieces of the double are are even quieter, yet they culminate in the same power he was delivering when it was singular. It's It's a great level of effect. I mean that mixing that little bit of mixing of vocal work right there is exemplary I, I love
1: i love that little effect i i didn't notice that so much but let's see what the lyrics say this is going to be our final word final bit of theme sometimes when i'm fading i fight to stay awake here i lie come and take me i'll go i will go so far just to say goodbye my my in my opinion i tried i huff and i puff why am i in my skin again well i don't know how it works so i just say goodbye Sometimes I see sorry faces. I don't think I qualify. Be kind as the knights embrace us. Oh, we tried so hard. Oh, as if I have answers. Oh, we tried so hard just to say goodbye. Uh, I'm sticking with my theory. It's back to the beginning.
0: No, yeah, I mean, and lyrically. But that's another thing is this kind of... Back to the
1: beginning thing feels like a kind of cliche ending too a little, I think. Well, then, mm, that's and, not necessarily... I respect the idea of there were no resolutions. Oh, like, well, sure. And, and, and I, I believe agree. that is a less predictable approach. I will, Most people try to employ a moral where there isn't always one.
0: And I'll agree that, yes, the, the fact that he does kind of just end up where he started in the sense <laughs> that he's left without a solution, mm-hmm. I think is more realistic. Because when you're suffering from this kind of stuff, there's no... Well, I found an answer. we're done. like it's progress. Exactly. It's, it's building, it's evolving, it's learning, it's getting help. Yeah. But my
2: one argument this is I like tried, be, I failed. My one argument would be that he showcased growth, and he showcased growing pains and actual, you know, conf- conf- confrontation with these
1: problems and then backpedaled from them, and that's where I'm left unsatisfied. Fair enough. I don't believe that in itself is going to factor into my wrap-up at all. This is the story that he wanted to tell, and I think it is an original story. So that leaves uh, the music and everything else. All right. So I am actually very satisfied with my... I I suppose my first attempt to really unpack a Wilco album, like of my own volition, or technically the Crash Chords volition, you know, which puts (laughs) all of us into the hot seat. But uh cuz yeah it's it's remains what you said earlier as a second hand band my experience with them had been scattered and then there was the little bit of research that I did here but we are not music A to Z we don't go through their entire discography I but I picked through and I was I was interested in some of the stuff I did already here so i think this really is an evolution for them uh, maybe not everyone will see it that way because mm-hmm. they are so pared down but are they really well and also because it with the this may be more satisfying in terms of the multiple arcs that the album has. I mean, it goes through all these different rises and falls and chaos and then, you know, serenity that I feel in many ways I don't think it's fair to say it's pared down. That would be a a first impression and somewhat of a flawed first impression for someone who didn't really, like, dive into this album. I will say that the lyrics, as strong as they are, they don't come through as much, I think, because of his vocal delivery. That's something we really haven't said very much, and that's because there's not that much to say. No. The second we described it in He's track... pretty consistent. Yeah, when we described it in track one, it was the same thing. Like, it was his warm, weathered vocals, which we described as a positive at the time, but being a positive, you know, just pe- the fact that it does not change as it goes... That may hurt it a little bit. Well, there are instances when he starts talking about another person, and we brought that up. Way but it's early. so sparse comparatively to the whole load of the record. Yes, that's the issue I really see. Yeah, so uh, I don't know how that's going to weigh in. It at least weighs in on the fact that that often lyrics present themselves to me in music due to uh, the the dynamic qualities of the vocalist. And although we may have liked his bass, his home bass quality, I don't think it had the dynamics for me to really get these lyrics on the spot mm-hmm. and saying, oh, I feel you, right there, when I'm in my headphones. No, I had to wait until we're sitting here at the table and we're talking about it and we're analyzing and we're looking at these lyrics and then we acknowledge to each other that these are beautiful lines. Um... And like I said, I can't say that the theme is f- has any flaw in it whatsoever. I, this is a very specific story, and I think it's an original story. So I don't think there are any f- flaws to his telling of this story. Um, the Once you do look at the lyrics, then I think, all right, it's solid front to back, and the music really does reflect that very, very well in terms of the kind of trying to overcome, and then sometimes you get to the, the core darker uh, pieces of his consciousness, and then sometimes you're back at, you know, the smile that he puts on for the rest of the world. You're a little bit confused as to whether the happiness is real or not, even at times. Uh, you're inclined to believe it's real in the track happiness but because that was one of the more boring tracks in this album then it sort of makes you question that yeah you know uh so yeah i'm going to i'm just going to leave theme at the door here it's not i i think that the theme is fascinating and and it's going to probably pull this up quite a ways musically artistic defense is there i think it's very justified in why he made these choices As for my feeling of it, uh, as to whether I had 100% empathy due to just the music itself, that is probably where this takes the biggest dive, because it is unfortunately... You, you can't separate the two. Like the artistic defense is on is on the left side, and then my experience is on the right side. Like when he goes through a very logical return to his presentation, his more pared down, simpler approach to songwriting, then I do get a little bit bored. Regardless, that I think it's ne- it's it all makes sense in the course of what was going through his mind at the time. Uh, but there are things on this album that really wowed me. I didn't expect, in a million years, a track like track four, "Common Sense." I mean, that was dumbfounding, and and the the arc within that track is something that I haven't seen in a very very long time, uh, even on this podcast. I would in many argue many that weeks that track
0: was the darlings of Lubberland of this album, just the, like a standout uh, jaw dropping moment, a standout jaw dropping yeah. moment.
1: Yeah, and I I almost take it through. As as an instrumental, even though there are those lyrics, and even though they do they do uh, hammer home pretty strongly, I take it as an instrumental just because the music is so innovative in its own right. Well, and the you lyrics know, are
0: kind of nonsensical. So. The lyrics
1: are kind of nonsensical, but I still like the way they fit in. Everything sure. just ties together well in that track. It's five stars easily, and a lot of people wouldn't think that. They might think, oh, it's too oddball. Right. So again, it depends on how you're approaching uh, Wilco. Now, apart from that, like, that is single-handedly my favorite here, but then we still have moments of other tracks that I like. I like the tone of Someone to Lose when it actually does get brash. Um, It's not that that back and forth always makes sense, but it it, is—it's in the elephant in the room, and that in general has been— Kind of what they bank on in this album, and I, it's not a bad thing to bank on. You know, be creative. Do something that will sort of take people out of their shoes on on the moment-by-moment moment listen. It's already getting deeper into the album at that point. Track six, and they know to keep it interesting. Same goes with track eight, Quarters. They develop the rhythm. Now, the rhythm hadn't been that developed before, uh, except for the the great exception, which is common sense. But Quarters was a whole different approach. It was something very different. It was quirky, and it was playful. And so it gives you that... Uh, listen, going along with all of the depression here, it gives you something that is just you know, musically playful, something you can bob along to, and that's still uh, innovative in its own right. So, I don't know. It, it's sporadic at that point. It's parts of tracks and it's elements of uh, of songwriting. I think this is easily in the fours. I, I I think that theme-wise and experience-wise, I even have to give some of the relative low points on this album credit for being relaxing and i think that's something that does not make this like the last two times where we were like oh there's great tracks and then there's really plain tracks like the episode 206 207 back to back the strange albums the uh, claire mcguire and paul simon you know we had those tracks that were just really repelling or boring and then the tracks that were holy brilliant this is not that because in those quote-unquote holes, I feel relaxed. And I feel I, like I'm getting a sense from the music that it's doing something to me. It's putting me at ease. As long as it does something every step of the way, then it's strong. And I have to put it in the fours. Uh, I just wish they'd been a little bit more consistent with the those aha moments. The things that send shivers down my spine, as they did in uh, Common Sense. I'm going to give this a generous 4.25. I... To go back to something I said right before we really
2: went into the wrap ups, there wasn't quite the satisfaction of or of uh, the hero or the protagonist with this. I'm okay with that. That speaks a little bit more to the theme, like um, <clears throat> some of these more cyclical movies that you may have seen, like Requiem or Memento, or like even like. S- like usual suspects or uh reservoir dogs that kind of have like a storytelling aspect or a cut aspect where things go back and forth back and forth you don't really get a, a story straight through you get little bits and pieces showing up that's what i'm seeing here but like the the great ones you got with this usual suspects or something like reservoir dogs they're just scene by scene act by act yeah it's a very intriguing story that's in all those movies and it's showing up here but those scenes have great positioning have have always got a great eye in the camera or a choice of lyrics or a color scheme for music that would be instrumental experimentation or uh, the like what we got in common sense a shift a a shift in rhythm or in idea or in the disposition of the main character, or the the lyricists, the vocalists that we're getting, we don't we don't get enough of that, so it gets knocked down to the more requiem of dream memento, something that you really enjoy that once, and it's impactful that one time, but in subsequent you know viewings and subsequent listens, it's less so. Yeah, maybe you're starting to pick out the little features. Like uh, maybe you're starting to notice the piano when it shows up or the steel drums that show up or that maybe a xylophone that shows up. Like little inserts that show up here and there. That starts coming out, but it's not really reimagining the songs that we're getting. It's not really making them more impactful. You're not finding something on a second listen the same way our big albums that we've just ranted and raved and had nothing bad to say about that's not here but it's still great it's still a well shot album i guess is what i'm trying to say with my weird metaphor going on i i thoroughly enjoyed it but i thoroughly enjoyed it i guess really the first time the most it lost a little bit of luster as i was able to start picking it apart and while the first time i probably would have said like 4.75, like a really high 4 because it's just a, a cool zoning album. By the second listen, it was pretty much exactly where Steve put it and I'm I'm hesitant to really change it too much. I'm gonna give it a straight up 4.2 It's not quite that, that that quarter, but it is definitely a 4 plus album. I just can't even see raising it much higher
1: I'll interject that it gained power for me after picking it apart And I will. We're on the opposite side there, as usual. So all is right in the world. And Uh, I will add that uh,
0: John mentioned you. You know, you lose stuff from watching Requiem for a Dream over and over. You should never watch that movie over and over and over. You watch that movie once. Memento, right? You watch that movie once. And if you survive, you never watch it again. Ever.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Ever. I've never been more depressed ever than watching that movie. That said... There's a couple that may have been worse. I'll, oh, really? I'll, 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 I'd be interested to I hear... I will tell you about them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear because Requiem is one of the harder ones for... Like, I remember being like in this place after watching that movie and just being and like...
2: kind of effed up afterwards. Yeah, like...
0: For a while. Uh, what? Anyway. My soul. Back on track. <laughs> um... So here's where I'm at with the album. I think that we've all been pretty clear about how we feel about it. I mean, as far as enjoying the record, I did like it. There were toe-tapping moments. There were moments where I got in the groove. And I will agree with something Steve said that was actually very poignant. In the slower moments, in the moments that were the lesser tracks, big finger quotes, air quotes there, I was never bored. Because they're not lesser tracks. They're, they're slower, more relaxing tracks. And I think that's a big difference from other records like he had said here there was never a moment where i'm going i'm bored Mm. those moments were oh this is kind of peaceful or i'm annoyed about a specific music thing because i'm a crazy person i'm not like a normal music listener it was never because there was something wrong with the quality of the music um i agree with steve wholeheartedly on theme i think it's kind of almost untouchable sort of in the way i initially felt about future islands i've since said that that theme was, that there were flaws in that theme, but it's in that vein of this theme that's really tight and that I feel like the lyrics really support really well. But I I can't ignore the music either. The music, I feel like, doesn't support the theme perfectly except in those artistic moments where it made sense. But towards the, the last three tracks of the record, like if not for the piano in track 10... And then there's nothing in track 11 or 12 for me that make them really stand out. Even though 12 isn't a bad track, and I was kind of down on it from the beginning, I still feel like this album fails towards the end. It just lets me down a little bit. Even if thematically it's still strong, and arc-wise it's still strong, I guess based on preconceptions, based on my secondhand knowledge of the band, and this might come up more on our topic, I just felt like the last three tracks were a letdown, especially the last two. Um, but I'm not going to fault it that much for that because I still think there's a ton of talent here. And again, as a whole, I enjoyed it. Plus, if the worst thing you have to say about a band is they remind you of Modest Mouse, Bob Dylan, and Beatles, <laughs> that's not really a bad thing.
1: Well, technically, for you, it is a, an insult to say Bob Dylan. For that's, me, it's a compliment. That's true.
0: Um, yeah,
1: I'm with Matt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Bob Dylan stuff was not this
0: album's shining point. No, no. But but I'm saying if you're comparing some of the quote-unquote greatest artists of now and before that's not a bad thing so i think that's kind of a shining point for wilco and i think what adds to it being a secondhand band is they have a familiarity to classic classic bands that we really like and so you're kind of like oh that's familiar a because you've heard wilco before and b because you've heard those other influences before um i just don't know that i can rate it as high as you guys i think that the, the 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 dip at the end of the record is more impactful to me than you guys i just don't feel like it ended strong i get narratively you know steve's line about how it ends with the question mark essentially it ends without a resolution and that's a good thing and i agree but i don't think it was enough i think that that lack of resolution that question mark should have been more pronounced there should have been i just feel like the tail end didn't tie into that lack of resolution well especially instrumentally so for me, this is a solid four. You know, it's, it's, it's a really good record and I would definitely go back to it. In fact, I'm interested to see if I, cause I haven't had either John's or Steve's experience. I'm exactly the same way after listening to it three times. I haven't liked it more or less, whereas John's liking it a little less, and Steve is like finding he likes it more. I kind of hit my stride now, I don't think it'll be going down any Down anymore. anymore. but yeah. still, there was a decline for you with repeated listens where there was an increase for Steve, so I'm curious, after repeated listens, I'm still in the same place, if I'll just stay in that middle ground and even out the, the trio, or if I'll actually go one way or the other, so I am going to keep listening to it. So again, a four. Yeah, I'll stick where I am.
1: I was almost about to change. But I'll stick. I'll stick.
0: So um, not wasting any time. I do want to go into our topic, which, as I said, does tie very closely. The idea of a secondhand band, which in case you're unsure what that means or what it means for us, at least in our context, is when I was picking this record, we all agreed that Wilco is a band that we've heard through a friend, like I said at the top of the episode, or through someone we know, or just on the radio. We've never interacted with directly. We've never gone, I went out and grabbed a Wilco record, or I can even name a Wilco record. Although after looking at the discography, I forgot that a couple of years ago, they released an album called Star Wars that wasn't actually about Star Wars. It was just called Star Wars, which yeah, I thought was I clever also. That. Um, but so this idea of, and now we can talk about it now that we are very familiar with a record at least, you know, do, um, what I want to pose at least is that does a secondhand band hurt your
1: relationship with a record and band or help it? Like, or does it do nothing? All right, that was actually going to be my proposal. Yeah. So we're just going to propose at each other. We're not going to answer. We're scared. Right. Now, well, it's this idea that, you know, when you actively pursue a band,
0: obviously you really like it. When you actively avoid a band, you really don't like it. So what makes a secondhand band
1: stay in that nebulous zone and what happens when you actually engage? All right. Well, before I answer, let me tackle on a right of that question. Sure. Um, do you feel that when you receive a band from a person, right, who... Uh, has suggested the band to you, does it color your perception of the band depending upon the person? Yes, absolutely. Easily. Easily.
0: Um, So for me, like, well, obviously, if one of you two recommends something to me outside of the show, I take it fairly seriously because you have a pretty good idea of what I like but also a pretty good idea of what I might like that's outside my comfort zone. Right. Whereas, say, our mutual friend Pete suggests something, genuinely he has pretty good taste in music so genuinely I would be interested to check it out in fact that's how I got into Phoenix Um, yeah I also got into Phoenix through him yeah he suggested an album I listened to it loved it and then listened to the whole discography but but that's different from a secondhand band, because that's a direct interaction. Secondhand bands are kind of more
1: nebulous. Well, they're nebulous, but it's also like you hear that they like them, right? So you know that there's this there's this friend of yours or acquaintance mm-hmm. of yours that really likes this band, right? And you're aware of it enough that you have the power to to make that investment. Yeah. You have the power to seek that band out and listen through their whole discography, but it's not directly on a recommendation yet. So because there's no recommendation, there's no obligation, it would be your mere curiosity, which is why I posed that little rider to the question. Right. Because it would, I think it would depend on your curiosity of the individual, regardless of whether they recommend it or not. In that specific moment, I agree. curious of them and their tastes to actually check out something that they like, that you're aware of. Okay, early 2000s, one of my
2: favorite songs, even before the early 2000s, back in 97, Harvey Danger's Fly Cold Setup, which I love to reference on the show because growing up it was like an anthem for me. Sure. Uh, It was early 2000s that I was in a friend's room and listening to uh, a song and I was like oh this is a really good song like it's a song he's played a lot off of an album he's played a lot and I had no idea who it was and I was like you know what I should look it up and it was from the same freaking album as Ball said and it was Danger. a solid five years later that I discovered that uh, the album Where Have All the Merrymakers Gone was like a 10-track really amazing album that just had one track that was mainstream.
0: That was ubiquitous
2: almost. And it wasn't even like an album that ended up getting recommended. It was something like, oh, I got to look this up. What's it called? Okay, type it into my computer. Look it up. What the hell have I been missing out for the last half decade?
0: Well, that's how I kind of felt with the Decemberists When I first got into them... Decemberists, I wasn't going to bring up because Steve made me uh, a Decemberist. No, no, but for me, so the Decemberists, I actually (laughs) didn't get into. They weren't recommended to me my wife's band covered them quite a bit and i had heard a few of the big singles but they were still kind of second hand but because i was with someone i loved and they played the music i explored it but i i felt like i felt that feeling on an album a many album level cuz i got into them um very late you know and within the last 5 years and then had all of these albums to go back and find.
2: You, you see, know, they
1: were never recommended to me. They were just handed to me on a silver platter on a hard drive from <laughs> a friend back in high school as of their debut release. Um, so, I just... Different experience. I, yeah. what,
2: what episode did we review The Decemberists in? That was episode 134. So, if you people listened to episode 133, that's when I discovered The Decemberists. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It was immediately upon recording
1: that episode. Well, he I decided he was going to go through the same uh, investment through their band, uh, through their discography, just as I did through Weezer, based on yeah. your... Well, I had to. But well, you did that for me. I had to do that for you. But that's besides the point. Like, yeah. I didn't know the Decembrists. and another
2: yeah. band that, like, was like pervasive in high school was Death Cab for Cutie, uh, and I didn't really get into them in high school. I avoided them on purpose. Me too. I, I almost did as well, but by the time college rolled around, I started. That was when I was illegally torrenting all that sort of stuff. So I started legally down, downloading the stuff and looking it up on YouTube and all that. What not? Though YouTube wasn't huge. Police, at the time. you can send the warrant to John <laughs> Sanders at gmail I, I buy I buy albums now. Don't worry about it. Or mostly I buy songs. Well, mostly I buy Spotify. Anyway, back on topic, I listened to a lot of that in college. Uh, the college time for me, like mm-hmm. Death Cab, was a band I kind of wish I'd gotten into in high school because I know I'd have gotten super into it and just enjoyed it at the time. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those bands like, oh, oh, this is who's is this? Oh, it's
1: Death Cab. Okay. But that's like one of those high school bands from our era. Uh, this, there are, you're going in two different directions here because when I think of the kind of band that you know secondhand and you have at least a first impression, you have some idea mm-hmm. of what they do, then there might be two reasons why you would avoid them. And it right. either is number one, you heard what you heard in the order that you heard it, right? Right. Which could be from any point in their discography, and you said to yourself, this isn't for me necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. right? Um, you know they're not terrible. You know they're not bad, but you, you don't. You just don't have that jolt. Uh-huh. You don't have that inspiration that says, oh, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a day of this." Right. Or it could be the exact opposite. You heard it. You loved it. Or at least it moved you in a certain way that said, "This is going to be an ordeal." Yeah. And you said to yourself, I need to be in the right zone. Yeah. I'm this way with TV shows a lot also, you know? Mm -hmm. You know that you're going to go into that show. You know that you need to go through it, but you need to be in the zone. Otherwise, you're not going to get that full appreciation, which actually means that you need to schedule your music listening. It can't just be a passive thing, like, while you're on the bus. Uh You need to schedule it like you would anything else in your life and say, all right, hey, if I'm going to be a little emotional then, then I need to make sure I'm not doing anything, like, afterwards. You need to... Pick the right time, which I, can cause procrastination. I have both a TV and music example of that. TV is recent.
0: Everyone I know, including my own wife, has been talking about Stranger Things. And I'm going to do this. And I have right not watched it, even though I own Netflix and yep. can watch it, because I know it'll be an investment. I know once I start, here. I'm going to watch all of the episodes back-to-back. And I just not didn't want to make that commitment yet. Same thing with the band Korn back when they were at their peak, probably, in the 90s with Follow the Leader that album came out it was their third album and I heard just the song Got the Life and went oh this is this is amazing I love this and then a friend burned me a illegal burned CD of that album Follow the Leader which I then listened to all the time all day long at school that day I took the wrong bus home so I could go to the mall so I could buy their other two albums immediately and then I went home and listened to everything
2: well you could, <laughs> wa- you could almost walk to your house from the mall almost. I mean I've done that before um, actually the same sort of way, uh, I got into Cage the Elephant mm-hmm. was, I mean, No Rest for the Wicked off of the Borderlands one introduction yeah. was like an impactful song, but it took me months and I had heard like half of the album yeah. on the radio before I realized that they were all Cage. And I realized that, "In you know, Rest" it was probably one of the mid tiered songs yeah. on that album, there's a lot more. Gooder stuff on that album.
0: More gooder, huh? Yeah,
2: it was almost their second release by the time I listened to their first. Like, right. that's that level of procrastination on it.
0: But yeah. I want to bring it back to the original question I posed here. While talking about secondhand bands and experience with getting into music, which we've done a ton on the show, I want to bring it back to this. We reviewed Schmilko by Wilco today, which is still probably my favorite album title of the year, which I think I may make a category this year for the year in review. Favorite album title or favorite album or song title. I think would be a fun category. That would be or, a good booby category. Yeah, yeah, like a fun yeah. booby category Why not? that doesn't have a ton of impact. But anyway, <laughs> I loved the title by Wilco. Um, but I picked it because it was a second-hand band for all of us, pretty much. What is your opinion of this band now that you've sat with their music? Will they stay a second-hand band? Will they become a band that you have no desire to listen to? Or will they be a band that you will invest in? John.
2: Uh, they're going to remain, for the most part, a second-hand band. Um, I think I'm gonna just like hold off and I'll I'll start going chronologically backwards in their albums I'll wait a month or two listen to their previous work May, wait, wait a month or two listen to their next previous work mm-hmm. and it I've done it with a couple of other uh, musicians that we've had on in our reviews and everything mm-hmm. like that uh, like Godsticks it was about two months afterwards that I started like looking up stuff from their previous work same way with um, Boards of Canada, it was months before I looked listened to their previous album because I wanted the first initial impression to actually wear off but since it was a positive
1: one, I knew it's something I kind of wanted to touch on later well just to tack on something to that there's another thing is that sometimes when I find something that I truly love that can equally be the reason why I don't look at other things right um actually even so for two sub-reasons and that is number one you're fearful of not finding the same thing you want the pristine vision of the band as you have it Mm -hmm. and that can can cause some anxiety about actually moving backward through their history when they were maybe less formed I actually haven't gone
0: back through other Aesop Rock records because I love The Impossible Kids so much and even though um, talking about people who recommend stuff that I trust. Star F recommended some great stuff, including
1: his old stuff. I'm afraid to go back you because just, I love that new record You so just much. heard him at what should technically be his most refined. Right. Right? So it's not to say that it will necessarily be only downhill, but there's always that, that worry. Uh, and, but, and then the other sub-reason is that you're just enthralled. You're, z- you're so much into it that c- you can actually become sort of a drug. Yeah. Like, you're just... Putting it off, not because you have any, you know, fear or anything, but just because I, I this is the way I tend to listen to music. Sometimes I can be very much one at a time. Mm-hmm. One at a time. This podcast has kept me going through <laughs> things that I would probably be going through music a lot more slowly if it yeah. wasn't for this podcast. Same. Um, and that's because I just I could especially I do this with classical music all the time. I'll listen to the same thing over and over. This is why I tend to go through toward things that edge on the more complex side because Mm -hmm. they give me no room for being like I've exhausted this track they're always giving me more stuff each and every time and the albums that I truly truly love then I I think there's a couple of my brightest diamond albums that I haven't listened to because I've exhausted uh, a couple of them I actually went the most recent ones and then I went back to the beginning on her first uh, bring me the workhorse from 2006 and then it's the stuff in the middle that I haven't actually filled in and I'm I will, maybe, in a few years. Who I'm knows?
2: actually a little bit kicking myself because that, the week after we did Arca, Mutant, I listened to his previous work, uh, Zen. Mm-hmm. And while I still think it was really good, like I know I should have waited because I still can't like think of anything uh, on Zen that even comes close That's to what awesome. Mutant was. Yeah. And Mutant was just so enthralling, I know Zen would have been...
1: Possibly as good if I'd given it that two months breathing. But anyway, those are the two sub reasons yeah. provided. You love the album, right? That's provided you love it. Those are the two reasons why you might not go back. But uh, I provided you're only okay with it. You certainly wouldn't necessarily go back, right? So you're asking me with Wilco. Um, Yeah, where does Wilco
0: stand for you now? Will they forever stay in the the parallel of the, uh, you know, one-off, one-off, like you'll hear, the second-hand band? Will they become a
1: band you pursue, or will they become a band you won't pursue? I believe there is some skepticism about whether they have done things in the same line as common sense. Okay. Whether that is somewhere in their history. That that was the most impactful thing that I experienced today. Mm -hmm. So as a result, I think it could either be curiosity or skepticism that keeps me from or sends me back to it. Got it. So you're still kind of in the middle of the secondhand band kind of area. I'm in the middle. Yeah. Um, i'm I'm
0: kind of in the same place too and I think it I think that might be, be like because we're all
2: kind of seeming to be in that place There was a cool story here there's a tone that's not like at its worst it's just it's just good right so well I think but the,
0: that I think lends power to what we're talking about today because me too to, to to answer my own question I don't know if I'm gonna go back in pursue of them they still after this album are gonna stay in the second hand band category for me and for me I think it's because. I like this record,
1: but I want to listen to it some more and be more familiar with it before I even decide if I go back It also back. has to do with sometimes the specific things you're looking for. Like, I, ra- I may have rated this, you know, higher than both of you, and that's because I enjoyed it as an album. Yeah. I think that as an album, this really works, like, beginning to end. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I get the sh- same shivers down my spine on a moment-by-moment basis. And I think that in the end, that is probably the more likely thing, despite my rating, right. that's the more likely thing that's going to push me back into their their history.
0: So I just find that kind of interesting at I'll, the end
1: of the day. I'll, I'll actually tell you that right now, even though this isn't secondhand band, this is the expo- uh, the experience that I'm having with uh, the composer Leo Ornstein. Okay. With his work, I am going through just about everything. And it's because he everything that I have listened by him so far has intrigued me on a moment-by-moment basis like in every piece that he's ever written right. i it's constant shivers all the time wow. so with that and i just i have to go through the next thing and yeah. the next thing keeps on Proving it right so far, he's the exception to the rule. I can find no flaw in this artist. Every other drive, he brings him up. Well, every other drive, it's funny like because month. no one knows Leo Ornstein. Well, it's a shame.
0: It's it, it, it's it's funny because although it's not on the same level or whatever, it's not comparative. But when I first discovered MC Frontalock, I had the same experience. I loved that record that came out right around the time I discovered his stuff Zero Day and immediately I had to go listen to everything else because everything had that punch and that fun of
2: those tracks and I just wanted to hear more by him until I went through his whole discography Flowbots when I first started getting into them with Fight With Tools I was like eagerly anticipating looking up previous stuff yeah Platypus, which is like a one-off, mm. or waiting for their, the, the, the further stuff, like White right. Flag Warrior. Like, it was all just eagerness to get into them. So I think it's interesting
0: at the end of the day that we all are kind of in the same place we started with Wilco, even if it wasn't for the same reasons. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Before we get into what we're doing next week, um, Steve, do you have a spam for us? I do have a spam, spam for you, spam, but the question spam, is, spam, do you, would you like spam, to hear my spam? spam well, spam, the answer
1: spam. is always no, but it doesn't stop you anyway. I'm listening. never okay. does. I am wondering if you ever thought of changing the page layout of your site. Yes, it's very right. well written. I love what you've got to say. appreciate but it. But maybe you could a little more in the way of content. You could. Just, you so could a little more. So close to being real sounding. It's so mean. So close. So mean. Just so people could connect with it better. You've got hey, an awful lot, lot of text for only having two pictures. Maybe you could space it out better. It's so close to sounding like, like a real person commented someone on
0: our site. There's that little hookup in the middle where it's grammatically completely incorrect. But besides that, like maybe
1: if we, grammatically we could correct. post that comment, approve it, and then edit it, and then make it look like a real comment. Maybe. <laughs> Except that interesting comment about, you got an awful lot of text for only having one or two pictures. And interestingly enough, he posted on a picture, <sighs> which has a picture and no text. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, who's it from? It's from Tom's for Cheap.
2: Yeah, see, there's the problem. If we put the actual name of the individual, we'd have to make it anonymous. And An interesting then... thing
1: about Toms, I once went into a Vans store, right, mm-hmm. and they were like selling Toms at the very front. I guess just as a little sub thing, they mm-hmm. were yeah, that was the featured shoe, right? And some guy who actually worked at Vans, he's like, "You guys like Toms? Like, do you even like them?" Because <laughs> like he was gonna stop selling them at that moment <laughs> and just take them back on them our here, right? suggestion <laughs> randomly. I like Vans. Vans are good. Vans are
2: really ah, good. See, Toms it's, are not. it's
0: funny with Vans. They're doing
2: tennis sneakers that are really good see, now. See,
0: never, they've never fit my feet right, so I've never found them very comfortable. You have narrow feet. I do have
2: narrow feet. I, I have wide long feet. feet.
0: But also, I think the problem is, is I like, shoes change, and I hate when they change. Like, I wore the same style and pair of Adidas for, like, ten years, and then they changed how, how they fit. How tall are you? 6'2". Uh, so I'm, like,
2: six inches shorter than you. Yeah. Uh, Just I, talking about Maybe you'd I like think,
0: you like Tom's. Maybe hate? I would like Tom's. What
2: shoe size are you? 12'. Okay, speaker. I'm an it and a half. Yeah,
0: I know. You have big feet.
2: Yeah, so that's why vans are You're really You're overcompensating. Important. No, I don't really. No, it's just that it, they're tight.
0: They're Freaking tight. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, moving on to what we're doing next week. So I'm actually very excited. A friend of mine, Freddie Heineman, reached out to me on Facebook. Um, I'd met him through the burlesque scene. He was doing stand-up at the time. But he's in a band now called Fisk, and it's him and his friend Brandon and their new bass is Cece, and uh, he reached out to do... Uh, to come on the show. At first, to, to do an album review like we often do. But when I found out there's so many members in the band, and they really want to talk about their band stuff, and they have a new EP coming out, I was like, well, it's been a long time since so we've done an evening with. And we usually want an evening with a year. We try to. The last evening with was with Circadian Clock, and what episode was that, Steve? That was episode 121. And so we're long overdue, so I figured hey, let's have them on. And so we're going to do an evening with Fisk, um, Brandon, Freddie, and CC. and uh, we're excited to chat with them about this band, the future of their music—they've got their some really cool stuff. their
2: present, their future—the whole, the shebang. whole shebang.
0: Um, they're a really cool garage, uh, kind of garage punk band uh, from New York, and you can find them on their Bandcamp. But there'll be more about that next week, so check out Fisk, and then tune in next week. And also remember, as always, music is life, and, and life is good. <laughs>